Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. I am on cup number two of coffee this morning, so I'm feeling good. Feeling good. How do you oh, feel? Yeah. How do you feel, Large William? Well, I'm just getting out of first gear into second here. I'm just having my first sips of cup number one, so okay. I guess we'll see when the caffeine train comes from two different areas, at which point it intersects. Yes, I'll probably do a lot of giggling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what don't know what that was. Sounds like a ghoulie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're recording from it, uh, from uh, the inside of a toilet today. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, so we are back, and we have a couple more uh, choices from the ladies. Uh, ladies Appreciation Month still going. We got one more week after this week. Uh, this week we are covering, uh, and God help me on the years, and hopefully you will because I didn't write them down, Large William. Or yes, I did. Hang on. Here we go. Uh, we are covering uh, Rachel's Pick, which is Last Train to Frio from 2006. And, ooh, I did not write down the date uh, for Street Fighter, but uh, Christine from Paris Cinema Magazine's uh, pick, which is Street Fighter, the Jean-Claude Van Damme dyed reddish blonde hair classic. From- Although it is 1994, one could argue that it is timeless. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. All right, so that is what we are covering this week. So other than that, let's see what we've been watching, the GGTMC has been up to. What have you been up to, Large William? Well, I've been up to a decent amount of housework. Um not crazy, but I had one day last week that I spent a good chunk of time doing housework, and I'm probably going to have more in the upcoming weeks. Mm-hmm. But I have still managed to watch quite a few things. Uh, it looks like more than it is because some of them were short, but I've watched a fair bit of stuff. Um, I finally watched the Dutch film The Vanishing, or Spore Lose. Ah, yes, yes. I, you and I talked about this last week. I was just finishing it up right, right after we recorded last week. Actually, that was what the first thing I did was throw it on um very good film very haunting ending i don't think it's it's a masterwork like most people are saying it is or believe it is but yeah. i think it's it's a rock solid film yep. uh the police serves the citizen which is which is actually in the form of a question uh it's a policia film uh it's pretty good it's it feels more like a kind of a traditional cop movie than it does kind of a sleazy polyester uh Polizia film, but it's still pretty good. Uh, it Conquered Hollywood, which is a documentary done by AMC on um, American International Pictures. Who, that That's good. Who starred in that Polizia film? Oh, God. I, he was in uh, Gambling City with... You know what? I'll tell you right now. He was in Gambling City with uh, uh, Luke Miranda. He played the older um, owner of the casino. I'm just... Uh, Looking it up right now because he is. I know his name. I just it's on the tip of my tongue here. He's an older gentleman. He's he's more of a character actor in Italy. We've seen him in a few things. Uh-huh. Uh, where is he here? Oh yes, uh, Enrico Maria Salerno. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yes, I know who that is. Yeah, he's he's done a fair bit of stuff, uh, and he's actually is he still alive? I'd be stunned if no. Okay, he died in '94. I was going to say <laughs> he was he was in probably his late fifties. When he was making these movies. So, actually, yeah, he played the father in um, The Night Train Murders, the Aldo Lotto film. He'd Calling All Police Cars, which is really good. Uh, Gambling City, which I said was good. Uh, he's been in a fair bit of stuff that I've seen. So Yeah, I know who he is. I, I know I've seen stuff with him in it. So 
yeah, good actor. He's got a good face, you know, good character actor. Um, but that AIP one was good, but they, they kind of gave the 70s, which to me was more of the fun stuff from AIP, uh-huh. uh, the short shrift. I mean, it was like yeah. five minutes on the back end. There was 30 seconds with Pam Greer. I was a little bit disappointed at that. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I, know. I always felt like there should be a part two to that. Yeah, there should have been more. It was more of the 70s stuff because this is more about the inception of the company and right. how they came to be and so forth. Uh, Dancing Outlaw 2, Jessica White goes to Hollywood uh, as Mike and I and a few other people, Zom and a few other people had discussed. Total stunt doc. Uh, let's put the hillbilly in, in Hollywood and, and see what happens. It's, if, like I told you, very, very uninspired. But, you know, interesting if you like Jessica, I guess. Um, my wife picked a movie called Duplicity. Written by Tony or directed by Tony Gilroy of Michael Clayton fame, I would say if you got to watch a quote unquote chick flick, this would be the one because it's more of a an intrigue and kind of mischief, mischievous corporate spying kind of film. Uh, Clive Owens in it, so that was what kind of lured me into it. Uh, decent film. Uh, I watched. I've been on a real Fulci tear this week, as you know. Uh, I watched The Psychic, aka Seven Notes in Black. Yeah. Uh, very good stuff. Very unFulci. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Very unfulchy. Um, it's a little slow, but I think the last 20 minutes or so really pay off. A lot of people seem to like the score. I think the score is atrocious other than the main theme, which is mm-hmm. incredible. Um, colors of Now, here's two things I watched that i, I got to do a bit of promotional work for here. Um, we have a good li- a friend and a good listener of the show who I'd like to maybe do a little bonus interview with at some point. Um, because what he's done is he's taken... Uh, his love of electronic music and uh, and giallos and Italian horror movies and fuse them together. Uh, and it's uh, Speedy, our good friend, who uh, he gave me two DVDs. One is called Colors of Darkness and the other is Electro Euro Trash. And with these, he's taken uh, clips from giallo films and, and Italian horror films and edited them, edited them, edited them together <laughs> with... Um, with music and it, it's, it's so well edited because of the sound, the music and the breaks and uh, with the clips. And I'm not doing it much justice, and I can't fucking find the website now for the life of me. But um, I got to try to find it because I really enjoyed these, uh, especially the second one, which was all an all electro soundtrack, like Lady Tron and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does a really good job. There's a lot of nice clips in there. So uh, let me see if I can find that website here very very quickly. Okay, here it is. It's Space Tunes. That's T O O N Z. Space Tunes Media. Yeah. And uh, you can find his stuff there. Um, like I said, really cool stuff. Uh, so check it out. You can follow. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at that too. At Space Tunes. Oh yes, yes. So yeah, I mean both are really good. But you can tell Electro Euro Trash. The second one he did, he felt more comfortable with the software he was using and and editing and stuff was a little bit sharper. Um, getting back to Fulci, I watched the New York Ripper. Nice. Now you had said you have a bit of an interesting um, relationship with this film. You don't know what you, how you really feel about it, uh, and I haven't really publicly said how I feel about it. So let's let's hear this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Okay, <laughs> I fucking loved it. Yeah. Loved it is so fucking sleazy. I mean, you see a woman get, I guess, a toad as opposed to fingered, toad uh, by a Puerto Rican. Thug in in a, in a this hole in the wall bar. Um, I mean, there's just some. I mean, it is so fucking sleazy, man. It, it it feels more like an American film than it does 
an Italian film in some ways. Yeah. Um, it, because it doesn't have that. Uh, I always find Fulci feels like an American director in terms of his sensibility. He hits you with the hammer. Yeah. You know, he he's a little bit different than a lot of the other guys. His cinematography and scores aren't usually as good. Um, but uh, man, I really dug the New York Ripper. I think it's a fun piece of brutal trash, like yeah. in terms of the brutality. That's what it is. I mean, it's it's a trash. That's why I say I have uh, this weird and different feeling to it. Uh, the part of me loves it, and part of me, you know, because some of the filmmaking and stuff like that, part of me is like, what the fuck, you know? And some of the the choices he makes, it's like, what? The? But it is a true, in my opinion, it is a true cult film. Because it is, it borders that fine line for me where I'll watch it like once or twice uh, every couple of years, and then other times I ask myself, "Why the hell am I watching this again?" <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, the killer. Just to give an, ex- an, uh, an example of what it is, the killer talks like Donald Duck and goes quack quack. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but it, I don't know. I loved it, man. It was such a fucking sleazy film. Like there's like peep shows. Like they shot it in New York in '82 and. When Forty Second Street and Times Square was still really ratty, and and Fulci really tries to take advantage of that stuff, so yeah, I, I dug it, man. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a time capsule. Oh yeah. After that, I, I really shifted gears and I watched a film called Frozen River, which is a lot more of a dramatic film, a serious film about uh, two single mothers, uh, really uh, lower, they're poor, uh, doing desperate things to better themselves for the sake of their children. Yeah. Uh, dramatic film, really really good. I highly recommend it for everyone who's looking to get back into maybe something more dramatic outside of the the sleaze we usually watch. It's a little different than New York River, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, the New Godfathers, which is uh, another uh, Alfonso Brescia film. He made Nell the Bloody Avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because it involves um, the police working with a few local dons who don't want drugs in Italy. They're just cigarette smug- smugglers in Naples. So they're working together with the smugglers to try and keep the heroin out. But one of them, who's played by Antonio Sabato, is into smuggling smuggling heroin. It, it's not bad. I mean, it's I don't think Brush is a great director, but it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, more Fulci, I watched The Beyond, which has a few great sequences. But I, I like actually I like the New York Ripper better. I'll be honest. Yeah. I know a lot of people consider that blasphemy, but The Beyond was good in spots. But it kind of reeks more of my problems with the four or five other Fulci films I've seen outside of Zombie, in that they're just Bouts of incredible boredom strung together with extreme gore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched a, a film that made my chest hair swell and grow, um, and probably gave William a few chest hairs because he was in the room watching it. And uh, it was an action film starring Miles O'Keefe, William Smith, and Don Stroud. <laughs> yeah, I saw <laughs> <It's> those. Called... <laughs> it's pretty incredible, man. Uh, Miles O'Keefe plays a a pilot who gets framed uh, for smuggling cocaine into the states, and Don Stroud. You know, you know, in the, the Peanuts, how Pigpen has that that dust cloud around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not lying. Don Stroud's got like a coke coke dust around him at all times. He's just wild. Like he's playing this so over the top. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about uh, Miles O'Keefe, and he is like the distant cousin to me of, when it comes to acting of John Philip Law. Well, in a way, but he also kind of looks, and I think he's trying to channel Clint, but he doesn't quite pull it off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I watched one more film outside of our films, and that was uh, a film that was my wife's choice. And that's a film called Leap Year. Ah, yes. How'd you feel about this? Okay. I, I wanted to drink Javex about 10 minutes in. This, I fucking hated this film. <laughs> it is It is just, I'd give it like a 2 out of 10, man. Even my wife gave it a 5. Oh, okay. Like, it is just, it's just, this This is, is exhibit number A as to why I hate chick flicks, man. It's just <laughs> so awful. 
but I had to give it up because, I mean, you know, my wife was watching William Smith and Miles O'Keefe earlier in the day, so. Yeah, any female that watches a Miles O'Keefe movie, yeah, you gotta gotta step it up after that. Well, especially since, you know, I gotta hope she's gonna stay with me, so I gotta give something back and watch a chick flick instead of having her daydream about O'Keefe all day, so. In his loincloth. And there's loincloth, yes. But that's what I've watched, Sammy. What have you watched? All right. A lot of movies between us this week. Uh, I got in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven outside of the ones we watched. So, nice. Uh, we had a good week, me and you together here. I watched uh, I watched The Manitou, <laughs> the uh, film that The Het recommended first and then got upset because he thought that I listened to Rupert more than him. But I watched that. Uh, All I can say about The Manitou is, I think we'll have to cover it on the show at some point in time. It's just one of those, uh, it's like The Entity in a lot of ways, one of those what the fuck kind of movies. It's like, how did this ever get made? Uh, Just bizarre. And it's really bizarre that it's PG. Uh, I just, I I, I still am dumbfounded by that. I'm getting text messages from people while I'm I'm talking here. Okay, calm down. Okay. Uh, but yeah, really good stuff. Uh, I mean, it's not a great film, but it's a fun film, and uh, it's worth it to watch uh, Tony Curtis walk around in uh, in bell bottom jeans and tight pants. And uh, Curtis is packing, buddy. <laughs> da- David Carradine esque packing going on there. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told him, you know, when you when you buy your sausage from the grocery, you're supposed to carry it out in a bag. <laughs> But it's good stuff. I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I watched Straight Out of L.A. This is another one of the 30 for 30s for ESPN. This is about the Raiders move from Oakland to L.A. and then back and how it kind of coincides with uh, gangster rap and especially N.W.A. It's directed by Ice Cube. And uh, you remember you remember the days when uh, L.A. Raiders stuff was like the hot gear to have. It, it talks a lot about the merchandising and things like that and how the Raiders became this kind of worldwide phenomenon because of their marketing more than just their sport, you know, than the actual team itself. Yeah, I remember at the height of the kind of hip hop thing, early '90s, the LA Raiders and the Chicago Bulls starter jackets, the black ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every kid wanted one. I mean, I had a Charlotte Hornets one because I was more of a Charlotte guy. But, yep. but yeah, kind of shows all that. It's pretty good. It's only an hour long. It's pretty okay. It's kind of ham fisted in some ways. And Ice Cube tries some things. I gotta. Yeah, I'd like to meet Ice Cube and say, dude, why you gotta be so serious all the time? <laughs> I mean, the guy has a scowl ninety five percent of the time he's on camera. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's really weird to me. It's like, calm down, man. Take it easy. Yeah. Uh, I watched uh, Survival of the Dead, the uh, George Romero film. Uh, I liked it more than I liked Diary, but I still didn't like it, really. It's still very... Uh, the special effects are really bad. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, again, it's another one of those films like Diary. I mean, there's some great ideas here, but the follow-through is not where it needs to be. Uh, it's average at best. But uh, yeah, if you're a completist, I'd check it out. Um it's not as bad as Diary, but it's not as good as anything else. So <laughs> there you go. I watched uh, Wild Style. This is a uh, another hip-hop movie from the golden early 80s. Uh, this is one about graffiti. And and this one's kind of, it was kind of fun. It was kind of interesting. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great film. It was very amateurish, but I had fun with it and stuff. I always liked that graffiti tagging culture and, and stuff. And they kind of ham-fist a, uh, a storyline through there with some, you know, some love stuff and, and things like that, but it was pretty cool because it didn't really start a lot of stars, and really it was mostly people they actually, you know, actual graffiti artists they cast, and then they used a lot of old, old, I mean, really old, early hip hop guys, and I can't even name the groups. That's how old they are. I mean, these are like one hit wonder type groups. But I do know Five Five Freddy was in there, and a couple other people, and it was pretty interesting. You said Melly Mel, or yeah, yeah, some of those guys. Melly Mel was in there, and some of those guys. So it was really interesting. I mean, it, there's a lot of music in it, so there's a there's not much story, but it. 
it kind of knows what it is a little bit more than like rapping was kind of like the Hollywood version of this film. Yeah. So that's what it was. You know, it, it, I had a little bit of a better feel. So I would recommend that uh, Emily check it out. Wild Style. She might dig it. Uh, I watched uh, Inspired by Roop and his uh, conversation with Lars Nielsen. I rewatched Julie Darling. I hadn't seen it in a while. I will still reiterate between Lars and uh, Rupert, Julie Julie Darling is a fucking nutso movie. <laughs> That's the one about the evil child? Uh, it's about, uh, yeah, it's kind of about an evil child, a teenager. Uh, you just kind of got to see it. It's, I want to see it. I, I bookmarked it. Uh, I got to see it, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's offensive in some ways, but it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> but they were talking about it, and I remembered I had it, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to rewatch that, so. I kind of put it on for a spin, and uh, I'm glad I did. It's still one of those movies. Uh, stars one of our one of our uh, boys, uh, Anthony Frank Franciosa. Is that his name? Franciosa. Oh, from Tenebrae, Anthony yeah. Franciosa. Yeah, Franciosa. He's in it. So, and Sybil Danning. Uh, not a. Oh yeah, yeah, a nude Sybil Danning. Very <laughs> nice. But you know, good stuff, and uh, a great performance from the actress that plays the daughter. Good stuff, man. I'm glad that. Yeah, Rupert, that's a good thing about these interviews. He does these, and these movies just come up, and I'm just like you. I'm writing down these titles like crazy, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think I listened to that interview like four times, so good stuff. It's a good one, man. It's yeah. a real good one. Uh, I, was, I watched the HBO movie. I finally finished it. Uh, you Don't Know Jack. That's the Al Pacino, Jack Kevorkian movie. Oh, was that a miniseries or was it a movie? It was a movie. It was, a, it was about a it's about two hour HBO film. It's it's good, man. It's it's not great, but it's uh, you know Pacino showing he can still act. It's more subtle Pacino, quiet. He kind of adopts a Northern Michigan kind of uh, accent, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, he says stuff like you know time and you know stuff like that. You know that kind of Northern uh, United States kind of accent, but it works. You know, they gave him some ear. He kind of looked like uh, the character from Il Devo a little bit. <laughs> Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, it works good. I mean, uh, Pacino's got the slump going on. I don't know if you've ever seen. I mean, I know you know who Jack Vorkin is, but I don't know if you saw a lot of photos of him and stuff. You know how he kind of got slumped down and stuff. And Pacino does a good yep. job of showing how he kind of deteriorates and and stuff. And it's a good movie, uh, you know, a topic that, you know, I'm not going to talk about here. That We could probably talk. Anybody could. I think anybody could talk about it for hours. And still mm -hmm. very interesting uh, material there. Uh, so good film, not great film. Uh, you know, watch it if you if you're really interested. If you're not really interested, you know, not a big deal. Uh, and then finally, but certainly not least, I watched the uh, just watched this last night. Will this is why I didn't get much sleep? Okay, so and it's it's apt. I watched the four hour documentary Never Sleep Again. Oh no way! Uh, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. So. Very, very good. Especially if you're a fan of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, I think you're going to love it. Uh, I'm not as big a fan as I am of some of the other stuff, but I did enjoy it quite a bit, especially when they started talking about everything past Part 1, because there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about Part 2 and uh, and Part 3 and 4 and, and so on. And uh, there was some really great stuff, and especially when some of the most interesting stuff, believe it or not, was uh, when they were talking to Rennie Harlan. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. And uh, Rennie Harlan, you know, he was uh, very, very poor uh, when he came to the States, the Finnish Torpedo. And uh, he had no money, and he was going into New Line every day wearing the same clothes, begging him to let him make this movie, basically. And uh, finally they gave it to him. And, you know, it changed his whole life. So very interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, Rennie Harlan, of course, gets made fun of a lot. But the guy does have a nice, he does have a nice style. I mean, I'll give him that. He makes some shit films, but he does have some style. So... I'll take him over uh, uh, Ratner, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, Rennie Harlan to Ratner, yeah, no doubt. I'll take Cutthroat Island over any Ratner film. Yeah, <laughs> Even absolutely. as lame as Cutthroat Island is. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it's really good. It comes out on DVD this week. I got my copy uh, yesterday. For I don't know how I got it early, but I got it early from Netflix. I don't know what happened there, but uh, it's supposed to come out today, actually, and I got it yesterday. I don't know why, but uh, either way, thank you very much, Netflix. And uh, uh, I stayed up late watching it last night and got about three and a half hours of sleep to do the show. So Wow. Never sleep again. But good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, definitely highly recommend. So I think that's everything. That's a lot of movies. Hope you that guys. A lot. Hope you guys had your pens and papers out. <laughs> the only thing Never Sleep Again was missing was Miles O'Keefe in a loincloth. That would have made it aces. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and review one of the films. Which one do you want to do first here? Street Fighter, Last Train to Frio? Let's do Street Fighter. Okay. We'll do Street Fighter first. Okay. So we'll be back right after this with our review of Street Fighter. PopSyndicate.com Your one stop for all your unhealthy obsessions. Breaking news and in-depth reviews on all of your favorite movies, music, TV shows, podcasts, comics, books. PopSyndicate.com With one of Randy Spears' favorite songs. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, every time I hear that, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there dancing. And it's like, oh, oh. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, that's a great track, Jungle Fever. I know. So I read in our funny story, but someone took that. They're in Catholic school and it came on. They took that in and played it for like a music class, and they got like expelled immediately. <laughs> <clears throat> nice. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's not appropriate probably for that area. All right, no. so um, I think I'll uh, I'll take the lead on this review if you don't mind. So I'll let know. you synopsize it if you'd like to. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, let me just get back to it because I was too busy. <laughs> Looking up, uh, <laughs> looking up other things, huh? Looking up some other things. Looking up but, Liberty, uh, Liberty and Bash. <laughs> Liberty and Bash, uh, Miles O'Keefe and Lou Ferrigno together at last. And let me also say before we synopsize this, I want to play the voicemail. But also, uh, you know, recently we went, we were going to mention this in the beginning. I was going to play some uh, some Dio in the beginning, but uh, Ronnie James Dio died this past week end, or actually, yeah, this past weekend. Uh, you know, regardless of what some people don't like his music and do like his music stuff, I mean, it's still a shame anybody has to pass away. Uh, I thought he was getting better. I knew he had stomach cancer, and uh, he showed up at some event, and he looked, uh, you know, he looked pretty feeble, but it, I'd heard that he was getting better, but unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 67, so rest in peace, master of the devil horns. Uh, uh, you will be missed, sadly. Yeah, yeah, he could really blow, man. It's, uh, you know, short in height. Hall in awesomeness and uh yeah rest in peace man yeah the evil dwarf i think people used to call him something like that but yeah yeah it was it's funny <laughs> i saw a picture of him and then the either blackie lawless or another tall guitarist and it was just funny to see the two of them 
side by side. But right, let uh, me uh, let me play this voicemail real quick, and then we'll do the synopsis. Here we go. Hang on. It's coming up. Here we go. Hi guys, it's Christine. I just walked in the door, and Dylan yelled at me that I had to call in my pick because there was only six spots left. So um, <laughs> I'm calling in my pick, and hopefully there's a spot. Um, if not, you should watch it anyways and talk about it because it'd be fun. Um, my pick is 1994 Street Fighter. Um, I really just want to hear you guys talk about it because I think it's a really funny movie and Kylie Minogue is in it. Um, so that's my pick. I love you guys and thank you for doing this again. Bye. All right. So there's the voicemail request and now we'll get the sweet dulcet tones of large William giving us a plot synopsis for Street Fighter. Okay, so 1994 Street Fighter, directed by Stephen E. D'Souza, uh, primarily known for his screenwriting of Commando, Die Hard, and a few other action films. Yep. Uh, this is one of his few helming efforts, and the plot is as follows. Uh, Colonel Guile and various other martial arts heroes fight against the tyranny of direct, dic, director, dictator M. Bison and his cohorts. Yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Okay, all right, so... This is a film based on a video game, and obviously they got D'Souza in there because I think he wrote Mortal Kombat as well. He may have. I didn't notice that. I think he did. He wrote uh, quite a bit of this stuff from the 80s and early 90s that uh, some would consider awful, some would consider fun, uh, stuff such as uh, Hudson Hawk, Die Hard 2, Another 48 Hours, the original Die Hard. That's probably where he made most of his money, but he also wrote such good stuff, like you said, as Commando, The Running Man, uh, the other spirit film... uh, Wow, that was a TV film. I didn't even know that. I'll look that up, see who's in that. And uh, quite a bit of stuff. I mean, some good stuff, some bad stuff, some whatever you want to say. Judge Dredd, that's that's some of the bad stuff. The butt. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, some of the good stuff. So uh, he, For horror fans, he wrote uh, the screenplay for Bad Dreams, which features our boy Richard Lynch. I love that film. Yeah, I saw Richard Lynch at The Last Horror Hound. Uh, he looked a lot better than Robert Zadar. That's all I'll say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Rough stuff. Zadar, man. Poor guy. Either way. Uh, okay, so this uh, this is an interesting film. I mean, I'm not really big on these video game adaptions, and this is one of the reasons why... Adaptions. I said it, I said it Miles, uh, adaptations, but this is an interesting one for a lot of reasons. Uh, this film was kind of released during the height, I would say, of Van Damme mania. Uh, I think this is this is right around the time when I think he might have been as big as he ever got. Well, it was, it was the height of Van Damme mania, and it was the height of coin-op video game mania. Yes. Because this was when Street Fighter was a big part of my life and a big part of a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 was, uh, it was pretty hyped. I remember, you know, it was, it was a hyped film. A lot of people were talking about it and were excited about it. And, it, uh, you know, it came out. And I guess I think Raul Julia died before it came out. Just before, yeah. Yeah, and so it kind of got a little bit of a, you know, got a little bit of notice for that and stuff. And he had, he had been, he had, I think he had shot a movie somewhere and gotten really ill. And so in this film, he's, he's lost a lot of weight. He's very kind of uh, drawn and kind of a skinny. It doesn't stop the fact that he's doing his best theatrical acting. Some of his best theatrical acting, though. I mean, he is way over the top <laughs> in this film, and he's having a blast. It's obvious, you know, uh, he got the memo. A couple of people got the memo in this film. A couple of people did not, including Mr. Van Damme. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I would argue that. I, I think he did get the memo, actually, Sam. I mean, I think there's parts where he seems pretty aware of, of what it is he's doing. He might have, maybe. I, I don't know, man. I felt like he was being kind of a bit of, maybe a bit more of a ham than he needed to be. But, you know, maybe that's just me. <laughs> there's five. Ed- all, oh, I'm sorry. Maybe all that red hair dye had uh, gotten to his brain, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's five editors on this film. 
five Jeez. editors. So, you know, it's obvious that they had to do a lot of work in post to kind of put this thing together. I'd like to see the unedited version of this movie. Be the nine-hour cut. <laughs> the nine-hour <laughs> cut, yes. I mean, you can't really take the film too seriously. It's not that kind of movie. So it's really going to be kind of hard for me to come in here and say, oh, you know, this is a piece of shit, you know, and everything else. I don't really feel that. I feel it's a very solid kind of fun B movie. And actually, it's I think it's a pretty good movie for for like uh, Fathers and Sons, mm-hmm. something like that, because it's pretty it's pretty by the numbers. It's pretty by the book. It's it's not too I mean, there's a there's a little bit of sexual innuendo. So maybe some of that would be a little uncomfortable, but it's not it's not too heavy handed. I don't think I don't think it's too in your face. Probably the biggest sexual innuendo might come from the character of Vega and Bison's relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But let's not just say fathers and sons, but fathers and daughters for Mm -hmm. Doc and KK. Yeah, or yeah, any children. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the film confirms for me what I already knew, which is tough guys braid their ponytails. I've I've always known that. (laughs) (laughs) French braid, no less. You're not a badass unless you French braid your ponytail. Yeah, the, the character of uh, Vega, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, if you guys want to know what Large William looks like in real life, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he wears like a Bollywood superstar. <laughs> when I met him, I was like, why does he have no shirt on and matador pants? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and a rose in his teeth at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the character of Vega, I had a lot of fun with that character. Jay Tavari, I think is his name. And uh, yeah. he's been in some other stuff. I can't remember what else off the top of my head, but he's been in some other stuff. Like, uh, the guy's a beefcake. <laughs> yeah, you know, in all fairness, he is in good shape, though, man. He's in really good shape. I mean, from from his hair right down to his uh, <laughs> his midsection. I mean, he's pretty shredded, man. Yeah, he's in, he's in really good shape. I mean, he is. I mean, he was, uh, you know. And, but there was this kind of weird kind of relationship between him and M. Bison that was kind of fun and stuff. And I I just kept laughing because every time I saw a ponytail, it was braided, and I was like, wow, all these tough guys and their damn ponytails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the film is full of character actors. I mean, you got Wes Studi. Uh, playing uh, Sagat, yeah, Colleen Minogue is not really. A, well, I just got an email. Uh, Colleen Minogue is not uh, not so much a um, character actor, but a uh, famous uh, pop songstress from uh, Australia, I believe. I hope I get that right. I hope she's not New Zealand. I think she's. I'm pretty sure she's Australian. Yeah, there's a lot of names. This is the interesting thing. Miguel uh, Nunez, who you've all seen at least in Return of the Living Dead. Um, he yeah. was the Hispanic guy with the jerry curl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does, a ter- Andrew, does a terrible accent in this film. Oh, God. Worst <laughs> Jamaican accent ever. There, but, but, but surprisingly, his accent's not the worst. That would go to Andrew Brynarski, uh, who everyone has seen as Leatherface in the program, who does my, what might be a worse Russian accent than John Malkovich in Rounders. I would argue easily it's a worse accent. It is, it's just so bad. I don't get no money. You, you, you got paid? <laughs> There's, there's, I mean, a lot of good, good character actors. Peter Navy, uh, uh, Tui, Tui, Tui Sasopo. Yeah, Tui Sasopo, who plays I, I Honda. He, uh, he usually plays the big Hawaiian guy in almost every movie he's in. He, he, they, he always gets cast in that role. Ironically, he, he has a few credits that are as sumo wrestler. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I laughed when I saw the uh, Greg Rainwater name because I immediately started thinking of Greg Rainmaker. <laughs> as did I. And then also another name that would have been great for porn, bad for character actors, is of course the man who played Balrog. His name's Grand L. Bush. <laughs> He's got a Grand Bush, that one. Um, <laughs> he, he, he did some interesting stuff too. Like he did Demolition Man, Maniac Cop 3, Free Jack. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Exorcist Three, Colors. I mean, he did a lot. Of, there's a lot, like you said, a lot of you. Like I went through the credits and I looked at all the almost everyone on the list, mm-hmm. and they've all done a ton of stuff. Yeah, well, that one guy that was in that one movie. Remember, you said you didn't like it because people talked about it all the time. What was it? Uh, was it called Blood In, Blood Out? That uh... it, it's so funny you say that. Um, the guy that played Ken, who I think is terribly miscast. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where is he here? Uh, His name is uh, Champa. Damien Champa. But you know what's interesting about him is he he's uh, of Hispanic descent, Mexican, person mm-hmm. to be precise. But in this movie, he looks a lot more waspy. But he's playing Roman Polanski. <laughs> And a Roman Polanski film and Bobby Fischer in a Bobby Fischer film this uh, in 2009. So yeah, he I remember him in that one film we were talking about that you know kind of got played out and stuff, and he was way over the top. I believe that's what it was called. I'm looking. Oh, Bound by Honor. That is. It's the second film he played Miklo. And uh, yeah, yeah, Miklo. Ugh, <laughs> I hate Blood In Blood Out. I'll fight anyone who likes that film. <laughs> Uh, so there's that, but he, but he is, uh, I would call him and see if you get this feeling. I think he's like Andrew Stevens light <laughs> or maybe, yeah. or maybe yeah. Andrew Stevens heavy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, you're totally right. But that's what this my- film was called blood in blood out not bound by honor. <laughs> uh, well it's called bound. It's called, it's got two names, blood in blood. out. I think blood in blood out used to be a subtitle of the film or like a, like a hyphen type thing. I don't know. Because you know what was weird? I saw him and I was like, man, that's the, that fucking asshole from Blood In, Blood Out. And I'm looking, I'm like, it's not on here. Yeah. Where is it? But now you see it say Bound by Honor. And I look for Benjamin Bratt's name and sure enough, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Hey, but he's, uh, he's you know, I, th- I think he's, if, if, if somebody was to make an Andrew Stevens biography, a biopic, he should definitely be the guy that stars in it. Oh, yeah. He's got that uh, Andrew Stevens feel. But then you got Ming-Na, too, who I, I used to have a thing for Ming-Na. I used to think she's very attractive and stuff. And she still is, actually. She's aged very well. She's on the Stargate show I watch, so... Uh, I think she's a very attractive lady. Uh, she is. And uh, that's about all. So we went through the pretty much the whole... And there's a couple other people in here, too. Some tough guy actors and stuff, but I can't name any of them off the top of my head. But they're in there. You know, I meant to tell you last week when I watched that uh, that Hot Chrome and Leather or whatever it was called film, that there's a, a cameo from Eric Estrada in that film. No way. Back before he was, quote-unquote, Eric Estrada. So I, mean, I forgot to mention that. So <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. All right, so let me get back to this film. Uh, we like I said, Mikey did cover this recently. I haven't actually listened to the show yet. I got it on my iPod. It's listened to it. This is a uh, the great example of a, 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 a with Ming Na, the black suit making a character invisible. Uh, obviously, you know when she puts on her black outfit, nobody can see her, even though she's clearly <laughs> running or running around the place. I mean, it's like good yeah. lord. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. Uh, the technological timeline of the film, uh, I really. I really like that. I'm trying to read my notes. I, it looks like I scribbled something. Bad guys still get their entertainment in tents. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> With jugglers and buskers. What the, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. The movie is set in a time when technology is taking over the world, and yet M. Bison still enjoys <laughs> carnival games <laughs> and tents. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Oh, man. I mean, I was just like, what the hell? I mean, you know, it just, I was just laughing to myself, you know, I was like, come on, <laughs> but it, but it's fun. You know, it's kind of, that that's the kind of movie this is. I had a lot of fun with Van Damme saying the word boats. I, I told you about that, that, uh, when we were talking on the phone that when he says boats, you know, he says boats and it, <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time he can't say that word to save his life. You know, it's unfortunate, you know, the French accent is, uh, you know, it's really rough on some of the American words and, and vice versa. Americans doing French is kind of brutal too. So it's a little difficult, and I, you know I got to give him props. I mean, he does a pretty good job uh, considering 
You know, I mean, he's he's gotten much better actually as he's gotten older. But that's just because he's been in America a lot longer. But this is still pretty early, and he's like, yeah, he's, "We got to move those butts." Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny, man. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the goofiness. Sometimes, sometimes I liked it. Other times, it made me groan. Um, I, I kind of I enjoyed I enjoyed the cheesiness of the seduction scene mm-hmm. between that uh, was fantastic. But again, Julia is a respectable, respectable theater trained actor who really got the memo and played it for camp and i think a lot of people did because you see there's moments when he he like he's behind one of those um those three section kind of rice paper things that you always see women get changed behind yeah, for yeah. the silhouette and he's changing behind one of those and he puts his his um hat on the hat rack and there's 20 different hats just different colors and different heights for different occasions which yeah. it clearly they kind of got the memo but I think the problem here, Sammy, is that they're trying to appeal to kids to a degree because it is based on a video game, and they're trying to add some adult sensibility, which is maybe why you got frustrated between the lack of consistency and in the sensibility. Yeah, I mean that that's that is the biggest weakness of the film. It, it really it wants to be an action movie, but it also wants to be a kids movie, and it kind of comes off as it's struggling the whole time to do both. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie; it just means it's struggling the whole time to do both. And and I understand what they were going for. I just don't think they hit it right on the head. But I think some of the moments in the film are really good. Uh, that moment in particular, I had a lot of fun with that. The way Julio's mixing the drinks, he has these de- fucking like instead of little umbrellas, he's got little M Bison things he puts in his drinks, and oh, he's got the cocktail shaker, <laughs> like he's shaking it around. And- uh, he has actually the best line in the movie too. He goes, "What you call your father's death or something? I call Tuesday." <laughs> oh yeah, he goes for you. The day Bison grazed your village, it was the most important day of your life. Yet for me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really good line, and the way Julia delivers it is uh, outstanding. And that's that theater training. I mean, I really, it really is a shame he passed away because he really had a career. Uh, in my in my opinion, into his older age, he would have had a great career as like the heavy in these action movies. Oh yeah, because he's he had the look. He he had the the vocal talent. He, he's, he's like Alan Rickman. You know, Rickman always will have this. Because not only because of Die Hard, but because he's got this voice, this certain kind of look of the heavy. Uh, Julia reminds me of that and stuff, so it's really a shame. I mean, that's that's one of the things I got from watching it, other than uh, the shame that was Van Gam dying his hair. Uh, <laughs> it was that, you know, Julia passed away, and uh, it's a shame we didn't get to see more work from him. Uh, and also, a couple other things. Uh, Bison does have some show enough like powers. Uh, yes, he does. <laughs> or maybe more like the Emperor from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of bizarre. But again, that, that plays into the video game element and stuff. And there's some nice uh, Van Damme uh, roundhouse kicks uh, that look very choreographed, unfortunately. There's one where the uh, assassin's running down the table and he kicks him and then just goes right back into his speech, which was pretty good. It was a pretty good moment and stuff. And there's some, there's some forced, uh, you know, emotions and stuff. I'm thinking of the moment when Kylie Minogue starts crying. I was like, what the hell? But, uh, you know, at the same time, again, it's, it's a fun movie. I, I don't think I would put this in the, the category of great movies. I mean, I own this. I've, I've owned it forever, and I own it for a reason, because I think it's great, shallow entertainment. So uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just ridiculous, and that's what's so much fun about it. So that's my thoughts on Street Fighter, Large William. We'll see what you got. I got a lot of notes. <laughs> uh, I want to say that, like I said, this film, or this, this game was a huge part of my childhood Uh it was my favorite game. My favorite Christmas gift from a parent was when my mother got me Super Nintendo with Street Fighter 2. I mean, I will never nice, forget nice. this. This game has a lot uh, of nostalgic uh, weight for me. Uh, I remember opening night, I was telling you, sitting, last time I saw it was opening night in the theaters, sitting in the aisle because the theater was just packed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just so wild. Th- basically, this film... 
to give people perspective, this film was in a lot of ways kind of made for you. Yes, it was. It absolutely was. Nice. And and I enjoyed it then. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly. I mean, yeah, I, I wanted a bit more of an edge, but I think even then I understood they can only go so far. Right, right, um, but, right. But I enjoyed it then, and, and I will say I enjoyed it now. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say as a side note, I can't remember which film because I've never actually seen the film. I'm sure one of our listeners has, or the guys over at V Cinema have, or someone has, but um, there was a, a Hong Kong movie that was done either with a scene or the whole movie was done, and it was much more faithful to Street Fighter in terms of the look of the characters. Yeah. Like Blanca, uh, I think uh, Jackie Chan's in it. He plays one of them. I can't remember which one, but it's got all them. It's got Dalsim in actually Dalsim mode. Like they try to get the arms stretching and stuff. So anyway, just as an aside. Uh, but yeah, the weird thing, I guess, because it didn't look good on screen in that uh, Van Damme, they didn't give him the broom hair that Guile had in the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would guess that would probably look ridiculous. Actually, I would have loved that more. Because one of the what was that noise? One of the uh, Williams emptying his toy box. <laughs> nice destruction. Yeah. Uh, 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 call it? Uh, the 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 army outfits that they wear. I would have much rather they'd been more cartoonish. Uh, with like a, you know, of course now if it was made, it would probably be like that. They'd be you know more stylized. The hair would be a little bit crazier. Some of the characters look spot on. But some of the characters are very like the guy that plays Ken. You're right, Damian Chip. That, he's very bland. And even when they get the outfit on, you know he's supposed to be Ken Masters. It's like uh, that doesn't really work for some reason. And the Ryu guy, he he looks okay too, but it doesn't really work. And, and you know, in the game, I remember Ryu and Ken were a big deal. But in the movie, they kind of kind of they kind of get background because you know they had to make Van Dam Gal. I almost kind of wish they would have made Van Dam Ken. Well, they should have because the Ken, I know the Ken character and then, well, I don't know for certain with the Ken character, but Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat was based on uh, Van Damme. Right, right. Uh, and you would think, if anything, maybe Ken would be to an extent. Right, uh, right. But, yeah, I don't know why that was necessarily done. Maybe he didn't want to share screen time with Ryu. I, I don't know what what it was, but well, I do think. Well, Van Damme's a better actor than Damien Chapa. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, no, he is. He is, absolutely. Damien Chapa to me and... Like you said, even the guy that played Ryu, um, Byron Chan, I think his name was, they're both, well, uh, Chan more than Chapa, uh, okay, but I don't think either one of them has the charisma needed to to play what I think were the two most loved characters in the franchise of Ken and Ryu. Yeah, and that, that, those were the two guys. I mean, that, you Ken and Ryu were the kings of the franchise. Yeah, that's that's what the that's one where the problem one one of the spots where it lies is that they don't have because those characters were so important to the franchise, they don't have that. I didn't feel like they had the weight. They didn't, but I think it becomes a bit difficult or a slippery slope because you're trying to balance and give all the characters their introduction and their screen time. And and unfortunately, when you have a 90-minute movie, some characters are going to get marginalized or pushed off to the side of it. Um, I think they did a reasonably good job, though, of balancing everyone, despite Van Damme being the star. Chun-Li gets some good screen time. Ken and Ray, you get a decent bit of screen time. Uh, Bison gets his screen time. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of any of the really popular characters that were marginalized. I don't think any of them were. Dalsim was probably the weakest character in the game. Yeah, that um, was the one that really felt like it was kind of shoehorned into the movie, too. Yeah, because I think the effects weren't at the time where they could have a man stretch his arms and legs and spit fire and stuff. Oh, come on, man. Um, you could have done the Master of the Flying Guillotine thing. 
there, 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 are, there would have been ways, but I think they may, probably felt to make it look good yeah. or, or good at the time. Are you saying it doesn't yeah. look good in Flying Guillotine? Well, it looks good for a certain uh, crowd that's appreciative, yes. to be sure. Including me. Yes. Uh, but no, they, they, I think they kind of went the right way with that in mind uh, with Dalsim. They got Roshan Seth, who's a really good uh, Indian character actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's worked uh, stateside. He's worked in England. He's worked in India. I think such a long journey is one from as I've seen. Um you know, so it's a bit difficult to do, but you'd said this is one thing we disagree on. I think Van Damme completely got the memo because one of my notes is I love how cartoony he plays it. Um, I don't know. Maybe that becomes a case of, of simply it's very subjective, him, period. Yeah. I mean, I can see the, I can see the either or. I, I kind of – I just didn't feel it as much as you felt it, but I can see the argument. Yeah. Uh there's a great line that I think harkens to what we always talk about, and that's uh, I th- I can't remember who it was in reference to. I think, ironically, it was reference to Vega. Maybe it wasn't. No, no, I think it was someone. No, I know who it was. It was Chun Li saying, as an aside to Honda, about the Van Damme's character Guile. She goes, "He doesn't like women, does he?" <laughs> I just had to kind of laugh to myself. I know you're right. This is an action movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, good character actor Wes Studi brings the eye patch back to the GGTMC. Yeah, I didn't mention it because I know that you brought it up on like a Facebook status thing or something. So I was like, well, I'm not going to mention the eye patch because it's a large William will mention that one. So, oh yeah, <laughs> and Studi's good in it. I mean, he he Sagat was more you know Kenem Ryu that style, but he does a good job despite the absence of the fighting to still kind of play the the criminal yeah and element. The, I was making a mistake. I was talking about Vega and Raul Julia's kind of sexual tension, but I think it was Studi and Vega's. Yeah. Yeah, I made a mistake. So it was more like Sagat, because Vega was Sagat's boy. Yes. Or yes. Sagat, Vega, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So. Vega was Sagat, yeah. But the three of them together was a lot of fun. I loved when all three of them were together. When Vega, Studi, and uh, Julia were together, I had a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. The, both both Sagat and Bison vying. Well, Bison was such a megalomaniac that he didn't even really vie for the... the uh, <laughs> The Raven Goddess's uh, att- attention. It was more Sagat that did, but uh, they did add some really great little flourishes to the game, like Vega climbing on the walls, the Kenimurayu when they would flip someone over when they'd kind of roll over on their back. Uh-huh. I think they did a pretty good job trying to incorporate as many little flourishes from the game as they could. Um, one thing that wasn't in the game, but I do want to say this: it's a really uh, congratulatory thing, or, or something I was very admiring of was that a lot of time when you get these fighting games mm-hmm. the writers get very lazy and they make it the tournament the fighting tournament the fighting tournament this is this is a good point you're getting ready to make i think i love that they mix the deck shuffle the deck and make this a completely different film that had nothing to do with the game but still was within the spirit of what all of the characters motivations were in the game meaning chun li had a personal vendetta against bison mm-hmm. uh guile had a personal vendetta uh, et cetera, et cetera. They mixed all that in and made it kind of more of an action movie as opposed to the tired old tournament movie. Yeah, because that would have been that would have been the easiest way to go. Yes, it would have been, but mm-hmm. they they didn't uh, they didn't do that, which I was you know happy that they went that way. Right, right. Um, it's I'm not in the military scenario, but it's probably not a good idea to smash a wall of a, a building with missiles on the front of your vehicle. Yeah, yeah, there's some uh, questionable moments. Again, though, it kind of goes into the spirit of the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, just, to, uh, I don't know. I, guess I, I, much I really would like to have an outfit like uh, Van Damme wears with the beret and the kind of uh, the handkerchief on the shoulder pad look. Yeah. And uh, it was just outstanding, this kind of blue camouflage. It's so ridiculous. I loved it. 
Oh yeah, it's like the Bushwhackers or uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Or, the Bushwhackers or, or who was it? There was one other tag team that wore it. Uh, the the Dudley Boys, I think. That's who we can be. We can be Doc Zom and uh, Mike or the uh, Demolition. We're the Bushwhackers. So <laughs> which one of us gets to lick the other one's head? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't want to be missing any teeth, though. If that's the only uh, <laughs> yeah, me either <laughs> stipulation. Um, Julia chews it up in this like like a million or Pacino. You nailed it. His theater training and, and all of his stuff he's done. He really is having fun with this, and he's I mean he's really chewing it up good, man. Yeah, again, another actor I think who would have made who would have flourished in Eurocrime films. Oh yeah, well, what flourishes also is Balrog's five head and Eddie Munster point on his hair. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's glorious, man. This dude's—I mean, this dude's head forehead goes on forever. I mean, it makes Carson Daly look like an infant's head. Yeah. No, it's pretty incredible. Oh, um, <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> you know, you were talking about Bernarski. Uh, he is uh, definitely—if you ever go to a convention—that guy's one of the biggest jerks you'll ever meet. Uh, yeah, he's—he's—he's he's, he's way out there. Trust me, this dude—he's got some serious issues. And I don't really care if he hears this or listens to it or not. I'm like, dude, you got some serious issues. But uh, if you watch this film and just watch his reactions while other people are acting and he's in the background, he's totally like looking at the camera and, and making the weirdest fucking faces. It's it's like, what the hell are you doing, dude? <laughs> he, yeah, he was lost in space, man. <laughs> which, just... which, if you ever meet him, will not surprise you at all. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, you know, too much uh, clenbuterol and HGH and everything else will then do that to you. Yeah. Um, this was kind of a funny moment when there's a moment when they're trying to beat something out of Edmund Honda. and They do this little like Hawaiian music sting. It's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I love that. I don't know why, but I'd, I'd love, they'd smack him and he would like do that. I, I can't do it. Like what kind of instrument was that? It's like a Hawaiian instrument. Uh, I forget what Ukulele it was. or something? I guess I it's know. a ukulele. Is that what it's called? I don't know. If one of our listeners know, please call us and let us know. I'm not too familiar, so I think maybe ukulele might be correct. I like that. It's pretty funny. Uh, It is great. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I like that. I like that scene between him and uh, Balrog, and I like that scene. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. Um, Of course, we get the famous speech from Van Damme. Now, who wants to go home? And who wants to go with me? And it's it's really like the big center point speech of the film, which... Which is pretty funny. I don't know. And the Van Damme screen. Who wants to go with me? <laughs> on, on, is it on the butt? Yeah, on the butt. Get in, <laughs> get in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I thought the Communist Party posters in Bison's uh, lair were a nice touch. Like, they really look like authentic Russian Communist Party posters. Yeah, some of the set design and the production design is pretty good. I mean, it's... Well, I- Another piece that was a really great touch was that bone chandelier that you see. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That was pretty cool. And very tongue in cheek. I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, Blanca, once he, he turns, he looks sort of like the feral, kind of feral child brother of um, of uh, Lou Ferrigno's Hulk. <laughs> That's who they should have cast for the Blanca role, was Ferrigno. Yeah, yeah. But I think absolutely. it would have it been a little too much like the Hulk, probably. And Yeah. So. But I think they should have cast somebody like that, in my opinion. So. There's a great snarky line that Raul Julia delivers hilariously that I just I was laughing pretty hard at uh, because him and Sagat are both uh, big fish in their own ponds. When they have to get together on something, there's a bit of bickering back and forth. Uh-huh, yeah, and Sagat misses something, overlooks something, and he's wearing an eye patch. So Raul Julia covers his one eye and he goes, "Oh, I guess you didn't see that, did you?" <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Again, I feel like a lot of those moments were like improvised by Julia, and you know, I know that he had kind of a reputation for that—that that he would kind of come up with stuff on his own and stuff. And uh, you know, I mean, I think he always put in magnificent performances. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the films, but his uh, Gomez from the Adams family—I mean, fucking pitch perfect, man. The guy just would nail almost anything he was in. Oh yeah, and I've never seen actually Kiss of a Spider Woman, which I know he gets a lot of acclaim for. Um, he's really good. He's it's, he's it's a good film. It's a good film. I want to go back and see a lot of his older stuff. And you know, I was reading some stuff about him, and you know, he how his biggest thrill in his career was when children would come up to him and recognize him as Gomez because he really loved children. He did a lot of work with um, charities for disadvantaged youth and stuff. And yeah, uh, I, I just I, it seems like he was a really nice man. It's a shame he lost him so young. Yeah, uh, yeah it really, is. really is. Um, I can't remember the, the film he shot where he got really sick. He made a film uh, overseas or something, and I can't remember what it was, but he got really, really ill and lost a lot of weight. And that's where uh, it might have been this uh, the Burning Season movie, this movie he made. And uh, he got really ill, a dysentery or something like that. I think even I read that. Yep. He got really, really in bad shape. That's a good film, too, by the way, The Burning Season. It's a John Frankenheimer what? film. I definitely recommend yeah. checking that out. I'll definitely go back and look a lot of his older stuff. I mean, the oldest film I'd seen him in was maybe The Eyes of Laura Mars. He plays quite the cad in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The film goes down a bit of a dark alley that they, they pull away from, but I was kind of surprised they even went there to begin with. And this moment when, um, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here, um, Blanca has been turned from human into beast, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in this this sewer pipe or something, uh, sewer and Van Damme's in there, and Van Damme pulls out his gun, he puts it right to Blanca, and he's going to kill him. It's like a mercy killing. And I was surprised they even went that far. I mean, that's pretty dark for, for the kind of movie it is. Yeah, I know. I, I, again, I think that's part of the confusion, is is that it felt like it went away, and, and then it went this way, and I'm like, uh, is that really the way you wanted to go? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just me, but, I mean, it definitely has some issues with what it wants to be, and that's one of those good examples, so... Yeah, yeah. No, it was, I'll tell you, i got to give credit to JCVD for one thing. There's no splits in this film. Yeah, I was pretty surprised by that. There are the roundhouse kicks, but there's no splits. Yeah, no splits, which is rare from him. And I don't think he has a shirt off in the film either. Uh, Yeah, no, he wears the tank top at one point. But that's There's a, the baby blue tank top with his beret, but, you know. He's nice and oiled sure. up and stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not the flagrant homoerotic stuff we usually get from a Van Damme film. It's not the, the, the tapered, pleated pants up to the nipples either that we usually get yeah. from him. Thank God there was no ass shots either. I still don't understand the fascination with him taking his pants off in movies. Well, that's all about him. That's his own. <laughs> well, if I, I'll be honest with you. If I had an ass like Van Damme, I'd probably be walking around naked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, God, that's a sound clip for Bill right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, totally, man. <laughs> um. We get the bat. We talked about it's the battle of the bad accents with Jamaican from Nunez and Russian from Bernarski. We just needed someone to be doing a bad, bad Scottish accent for this to be like the bad accent Olympics. Yeah, yeah, it was just terrible. Um, pretty good line that's that's used in this film. It's it's been used in a lot of other films. Uh, I'll just paraphrase it when I think. Who says it? I think it's it's Del Sims' character says, "If good men do nothing." Uh, evil prevail or something to that effect and I, I always love that line I think it's a great line and it really speaks to me that the complacency of people sometimes is, is just as bad as you know not doing anything um, right, right. there's a great <laughs> there's a good moment near the end that's just so Van Damme that I, he must have had written in the script or just improvised 
when he kind of caresses Kylie Minogue's chin, I think, or, or Chun Li's chin, and you just know he was angling to get like a, a bedroom scene with one of them. But they're like, "Come on now, you know, John Claude, this is a kids movie. We can't go." No, but they like it. They're you know something. I want you know, to. I, I want to show my butt. I want to show my butt. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know he was angling for that because he, you know, fancies himself quite the hunk. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he had that. I know you don't like the TV show at all, Friends. I remember he's on that show at one time. And uh, he uh, told uh, Monica on the show that he could crush a walnut with his butt. And, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> at, at that point in time, I knew Van Damme probably, honestly, has tried to crush a walnut with his butt. <laughs> but but see, he's the kind of sleazy, like, used car salesman angle pickup with chicks where he would have, like, pre-cracked it just enough so when he put it in there, he could crack it. <laughs> you know, he was working that. I'm going to say, I'm gonna say though, that crushing walnuts with your ass while impressive is not wise. Uh, no, because there's going to be a shard of walnut in your ass, yeah. and probably a little too close to your sphincter. Walnuts are pretty hardcore, so impressive you can do it, but I wouldn't recommend. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend having a walnut anywhere near your sphincter. Yeah. And now we're talking about nuts uh, of the edible variety and sphincters, uh, somehow with the Street Fighter movie. Yes, nice. <laughs> Uh, this movie was dedicated to Raul Julia. Uh, yeah. Vaya con Dios was at the end. I think it says something. Yeah, be with Vaya God con Dios. Something be, uh, be with God or something to that effect. Nice touch by them. Um, and uh, that's it, man. That's all I got. Let's kick it over to you. And interestingly, I'm sitting there looking through Julia's biography, and I didn't know that he was originally cast as uh, Bucho in Desperado. That would have been interesting. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that would have been awesome. He got sick while he was uh, doing that. He had to walk away, and of course, then he went into a coma and passed away shortly after, man. So... Shame. Really, really one of those uh, like sad losses. Really bad. I mean, it's just like mm-hmm. one of those like, damn, you know. All right. So my make or break is going to be the seduction scene between uh, Chun Li, Ming Na, and uh, and Raul Julia. I think it's fucking outstanding. Uh, the way it hits the right uh, kind of pitches and and moments, and it flows nice and well. Also, I'd like to say that I don't think anybody has any of those rice paper changing things. It's a male, so I'm just think it shows Bison's kind of vanity that he would have that. Oh, totally. That he would have something like that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, for changing in there, you know, because those are always in like saloons, you know, and shit like that. And females are always behind those, but no, not for Bison. He's got to get all his leather off and put his smoking jacket on behind something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So I had a lot of fun with that scene, though. It was a lot of it was some good stuff, and that, that like I said, that great line in there about the Tuesday and stuff, really good stuff, man. Um, uh, my MVT is obviously Julia. Uh, I think he's. And it's not because it's his last film. It's just because I think the guy had this kind of magic uh, charisma that very few actors have and he could be over the top and it would work out just fine and uh that's that's pretty rare man because it's easy to make fun of the over the top guys but he is i mean he just hits this around the head he knew what this movie was supposed to be and uh he really nails it and i'm not saying everybody else didn't i'm just saying that he's the one that comes out on top in this film uh my score for the film seems low, but I'm only going with the way the film is made i think the film is very entertaining but i think the film is a bit of a let's just say i don't think D'Souza is a good director I don't think he's a good filmmaker. I think it's a bit of a mess in that way. So I give it a 6.25, but it's a strong 6.25. I highly recommend this to people who want to watch a good little action movie with their kids or uh, people who love the game or people who love Van Damme or, you know, or love Julia. If you want to see a great performance from Rose Julia, it's just uh, good stuff. So it's a strong 6.25. I mean, I think I gave Trinity the same thing, and I love Trinity. So there you go. That's my score. Okay, my make or break is the first... Uh the news scene it just it kind of has like a this whole movie to me has kind of like a starship troopers light feel yeah you know it's, it's that kind of tongue-in-cheek vibe i seem to uh see it or not see it but uh, 
it, it, I guess it worked more on my sensibilities than yours a little bit, but that, that first kind of new scene when they're talking about Bison and Shadowloo and the criminal underworld and everything just maybe worked a little bit more for me. Um, yeah, Kel Surprise, my MVT is Raul Julia. I did like everyone. I mean, I even liked Van Damme uh, in this. Uh, um, as far as getting the memo goes, that everyone seemed to have really a lot of fun with their performances, even Balrog and Honda. And everyone seemed to be enjoying it. But I got to go with Julia because he really is head and shoulders above everyone else in this film. Yeah. Uh, my score is higher than yours. It's uh, it's actually a seven point two five, man. I mean, I really had a lot of fun with this. As far as PG, as far as PG video game adaptations go, you can do a lot. No, this is this is true. This is true. You know, I think though, also because of your love for the video game, will I? I was never as big a fan of the video game as you were. That's uh, fair. Uh, I think maybe that might uh, have some. That might be the difference in the point, actually. Yep. Hey, I'll absolutely admit that. Absolutely. Because uh, my brother was a huge fan, and he likes this movie more than I do. He was a huge fan of the game as well. And uh, I was never really a big fighting game guy. I was always a. Uh, you know, sports game guy or uh, something like that. So I never really got into the game as much. I played it a lot, obviously, because everybody played Street Fighter. But uh, especially on the Super Nintendo, we, we had that copy, too, and we played the fuck out of it. But, uh, yeah, I think that might be... I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, okay, well, he likes it a little bit more, maybe why? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I think I know why, because, you know, he actually had some love going into it. So, Oh, nice. I totally did. I, I'll tell you what, I still remember the very, very first time I ever played the video game, uh, like, arcade game in the stores. Or nice. in the arcade. Nice. So, I mean, I really do have a lot of affection. So, you're right. That, prob- that, that probably colored my score a little bit. I miss the arcades. I don't talk much oh, about nostalgia too. much, but I do miss arcades. Oh, yeah. Just that smell, the cheese in yeah. the air, the, from the sweat from all the... <laughs> yeah. Everyone. <laughs> yes. It's good stuff. All right. So, that is our review of Street Fighter. Uh, check it out. Uh, we are going to take a break and come back and talk some Last Train to Frio. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good. You know, it seems mostly, uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Viking, whatever. And as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. <laughs> Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes. Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Yes, the mother was was insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing. I learned a lesson today about karma. The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right, heating old man. And why are you not winning? So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV because we totally watch it and talk about it. So you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store. My uh, my red leather suit on and my Arctic sunglasses, the same color. So, 
I am cool Modi this morning. See that that song should have been played on our Death Rides a Horse rap and uh, yeah, yeah. That was I was actually going to do that, and then uh, the only reason why I didn't is just because of our love for the Ennio Morricone score. So I which went, is uh, yeah. understandable. So, but I but I, I saw it on there, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this this week, even though it has nothing to do with the films. It's just uh, such a fun little track, the Wild Wild West. <laughs> and I recommend everyone go to YouTube and check out the video if you want to see men in different colored leather, uh, in Ray Bans and Oakleys, uh, rapping and dancing and shooting each other. Cool Modi, the one and only. Yes. All right, that is that. Uh, let me let me see what. Uh, let me pull up the uh, voicemail first for. Uh, this pick of Rachel's from uh, Rachel Rachel's was it called Rachel's film opinion? Rachel's uh, <laughs> uh, film. Yeah, it's, sorry, it's Rachel on film. It, it's it's on become film. like this running joke that we can't get her blog right. <laughs> and while we do this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change it. It's the Gore Zone Gore Gore Press Gorecast. Okay, there we go. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's it. Gore Press Gore Press. Yes, I'm writing it down so I don't fuck it up. Sorry again, Jamie. <laughs> All right, here's the uh, voicemail she sent in. Hey guys, it's Rachel. Um calling up just to make my suggestion for ladies month um, my suggestion is The Last Train to Frio it's an Australian film shot and set on the actual train line from Midland to Fremantle in Western Australia so it's my train line basically um, I hope you enjoy it I also wanted to say thank you for the suggestion of Ghost Dog I really enjoyed that and Pontypool was absolutely brilliant. Really <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, I also wanted to let you guys know that uh, my blog has changed. <laughs> I'm now Rach on Film, not Rach's Media Opinions. And I can be found at um, rachonfilm.blogspot.com. And last but not least, I needed to say that Cinnamon Diabolica is back from the dead. Okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> the Cinnamon Diabolica joke never gets old for me. <laughs> <laughs> Did he just say cinnamon diabolica? <laughs> Poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, yeah, yeah. The, she that she had a little feedback in there as well. Uh, she was kind of worried because I was, I, I kind of saved it for the show. But yeah, no, we were definitely welcome for. She wanted to know a Silva film to watch, and I just said Ghost Dog. It was the first thing that came to mind. It's not really a Silva film, but he has so much fun in that movie. So you know, hopefully, she fell in love with the Silva like we did and went back and watched some more. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still love the elk noise in that film. Fucking love it. I, I, I get an audio clip of him making that elk noise. <laughs> anyway, all right. So uh, this uh, is her choice. It's uh, 2006 Last Train to Frio, directed by Jeremy Sims, written by Reg Crib. Uh, two thugs from the Perth suburb of Midland catch the last train to Fremantle, uh, and then I won't go into the rest. But let's just say it's a. Uh, it's a one. It's a one location type film, and uh, let's see what Large William thought. I think we're going to be different on this one to give the listeners a heads up. So let's see what goes on here. Okay. So uh, first of all, let me just start by saying I love you, Rach. Um, I think you're awesome. I think uh, <laughs> I really enjoy your blog, um, and I'm glad you made a pick for our Ladies Appreciation Month. And I want you to make a pick next year. Yes. But with that being said. I am in the distinct minority because I know Ben over at Cinecultania and you and Rach and a few other people seem to like this film considerably more than I did. Mm -hmm. um, this film, you know what, I'll, I'll just go to my room and I'll, I'll talk about it as I go here. So I watched the trailer, right, because I'd never even heard of this film. Yeah, before Rach this, this, was, this was not easy for us to get a hold of. Oh, it was, it was not easy for me to, to play once I got a hold of it. I had to <laughs> piss around. Um, 
I have to confess, when I watched the trailer, I thought, ooh, I don't know. It's kind of got that, it looks like it's got that anti-hero with the four-minute pop culture monologue that not very many people do well. It's, it's a real minefield that I don't think too many outside of Tarantino do well nowadays. Um, so I was a little bit apprehensive. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the first things that I would say is a positive before I get into more negatives is the film looked to be very well lit. Yeah. Um, because when you get into subways and stuff, because the film, it, it really, it, it should be noted, and I, and I felt this without without knowing it, I, I kind of got this vibe as this was adapted from a, a stage play. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously, yeah, it's obviously a film adapted from a stage play. It's a one location type thing. And actually, I would bet that it works better as a stage play than it does as a film. Yeah, I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Um, so it takes place all on the subway. I mean, you see the from the inside the subway out to the different uh, stops on the subway line, but really it's all on the subway. So yeah, uh, kudos to them, and also kudos to them for kind of doing it in real time, which is always a difficult thing to do uh, and have it unfold the way you want, and they pull it off. So yep. in that regard, yes, and I will say, despite it being confined space, it's reasonably well shot mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, they use a lot of classical music as kind of elevator music on or subway music. Yeah. A little Muzak, so to speak. Muzak, so to speak, precisely. Um, which worked for me at times, and other times I think didn't work. Um, it kind of gets to be a bit meta where I almost wonder if some of the classical music and stuff, it it was kind of playing off a bit like a Clockwork Orange or something like that, where the, the juxtapositioning of the, the pleasant classical music with the violence or vulgarity, you know, is, is the intent, but it didn't quite work for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, there's a line early on when one of the characters says, this is going to be a long trip. And I think to myself, yeah, it's certainly shaping up that way, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> the film early on to me felt needlessly vulgar. I mean, listen, I'm no prude. I like a lot of sleazy, nasty stuff. But it seems like the two thugs were just saying, fucking cunt and this and that. To the point where it, it seems to be more of a, a writing decision than anything that bothers me. Like they, they just try to, to butch them up by throwing some swearing into it, which again kind of was grating. Um, and of course, like I said, we, we get kind of this this pop culture referential dialogue uh, early on with the Reader's Digest talk and the orchestral pieces and how uh, Steve Lamarcon's character is, you know, he's, he's referring to Vivaldi or Vivendi or someone you know he's just kind of going off and on about that stuff so i just kind of oh here we go i'm just not really digging it right um one line he does does deliver early on because there's a lot of stuff that misfires for me early on but one line i did really like is they look out at this new housing estate uh which is an interesting term because in the uk and australian stuff they say the word estates but we don't we use those terms here i know we don't in canada and i'm sure you don't in the states uh no we do not <laughs> yeah so like a housing estate is like a neighborhood um uh, the tall thug is the character name. He doesn't really have a name in it. Uh, he looks out and he sees this new housing estate and he says, oh, these new housing estates. Um, he's just kind of lamenting that the, these new housing estates don't have a soul or a spirit or a smell yeah. more than anything. Because no one's fucked in them. No one's died in them. And I, I like that, actually. I thought, oh, okay, maybe, the, maybe there's something here. There's, there's going to be some sugar in here after all that I can kind of get into. So I really like that line. And there's a few other lines sprinkled throughout the film that I enjoy. Yeah, I think that, I think that you know, that kind of shows his kind of animosity towards society in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he really just has this disdain for, you know, when I hear a line like that, I hear a guy that's jealous that he can't have those things. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, he could if, uh, you know, he really wanted them. You can have anything you really want if you really want it. But, uh, you know, he feels like, you know, he's kind of gotten the short stick. 
which there's a lot of moments I think in this film where he feels like he's gotten you know he's a very you know feel sorry for me type of performance and type of character uh, you know who hides behind his masculinity obviously uh, which is really interesting when you get to the twist in the film which we're not going to talk about on the show but uh, no it's really interesting that he's hiding behind this masculinity and uh, of course it gives it a nice payoff oh I know you liked the payoff I know you did like that part I I, I liked it even more than that but uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot being said in that statement. So I'm glad you pulled that out. That was actually in my notes. I, I agree with you. There's a lot being said right there. I really like it because he's kind of looking out at the estate. And again, he does this thing like I talked to with Joe Don last week where you can see the wheels turning in his head and him thinking about it as he's saying it. And mm-hmm. I really like that moment. And again, I'll say I'm, I'm bashing this film a lot because I feel it definitely misfires more than it fires. But there was enough in here that I would look into Mark Hahn's filmography um, I would look into maybe Maureen's filmography. Yeah, Mark Hunt. Uh, Mark Hunt. I don't know enough about him, but I think he's a pretty. He's pretty solid in this. He, he's. I think he's saddled with some terrible writing in spots, but I do think he's very good in it. Um, got a great, great I, face, by the way. He's got a great face. He, absolutely, he's got a great face, a great look. Um, I would say that the director is one to watch. Uh, I know the director does more acting than anything, but um, I would. I would say it wasn't so devoid of talent that I would not. I would dismiss anything else he did. I would keep an eye on it. Right, right. Uh, but yeah. like I said, I just had more problems with it than than anything else. But I'm, I mean, my biggest problem, at least early on, was was the hyena kind of dummy sidekick uh, of Trev. <laughs> that, I, mean, I, he, he, I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, I cannot tell you how much I hated this character. He's meant to be comedic relief and meant to, meant to be a meathead. But you walk a fine line between... Meathead dummy, haha, and meathead dummy, like, okay, enough. I want to kill myself before I kill you. <laughs> or kill you before I kill myself. Or maybe just kill myself and not have to worry about killing you and just be done with it already. He does come up with a good idea of a spot the bum calendar, which I thought, you know, hey, would Will buy a spot the bum calendar? <laughs> I certainly would. I'd be spotting bums every month of the year. Spot the bum. <laughs> maybe Van Damme would be in the mail one. <laughs> well. He could be He could be in, in December crushing walnuts or chestnuts by the open fire with his ass His his, uh, his ass has been shown so often that it would not take very long to spot that bum. No. No, definitely not. Um, I have to wonder if there's a real need for toques or, as you call them, toboggans in yes. Oz. Because Trev wears one of those great 70s ones with the pom-pom on top. And I'm thinking, I didn't think it got that cold in Australia. But I, I was... Twitter one with Rach the other day, and evidently it does get pretty cold there. So maybe Rach can let us know how cold it gets in the uh, Midland, Perth area. Yeah, in Celsius or Fahrenheit, we can do the math on air. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, again, when they threw enough at the wall, there was some stuff that stuck with me with Trev. Like he's talking to Lisa, the, the woman that they're kind of flirting with, and uh, he says, Oh, what's your name? What's your name? This and that. And, and he says, Beatrice. And, uh, <laughs> and she kind of gets a little bit of a smile, the, the ice starts to melt, and. Uh, and Trev says, in kind of like a weird Louis Armstrong voice, he's like, the Beatrice connection. I don't know. I can't do it any justice, but I kind of chuckled a little bit because, I don't know. It was kind of a humorous moment in the film. Yeah, he's a, he's a little over the top. But I think, it for me, it worked because it seems to me like Tall Thug would surround himself with somebody that he would feel superior to. Yes, he would. But, I again, I think that the character just wasn't written well enough and the actor wasn't good enough to rise above the mediocre and kind of um, run-of-the-mill, by-the-numbers, right. annoying sidekick stuff. Uh-huh. Okay. He couldn't rise above it, and they couldn't write it well enough for him to work with it. So what I'm getting from you more is the writing than the filmmaking. Yeah, I would say I would say it's more the writing than anything. Okay. Um, absolutely. Um, 
they talk about having two guards on every suburban train, and I think to myself, is it really that dangerous? Because I ride the subway, not so much anymore. I live out in the suburbs, I have you know cars and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I know when I lived down, uh, lived in the city, I would ride the subway one in the morning, uh, no problems. Right. But two guards on a subway, I mean, again, race. Let us know, is it really that dangerous? Uh, I can tell you from I can tell you from experience that in the states, it can be pretty tricky at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Toronto, not at all, man. I mean, I wouldn't even look over my shoulder. It's yeah. just that safe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. Probably the moment that really had me wanting to kill myself with Trev's character was he does this this dying fish imitation. <laughs> and I wish he would he would instead do a more, you know, realistic <laughs> dying hyena in toque imitation. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there thinking about the toque thing and the coldness. Why would he be wearing a tank top and a, to- a toque? Precisely. So it's kind of bizarre. I don't know, you know, and you know, different areas of the world, what people consider cold and and hot are two different things. Like, oh yeah, here, you know, where I'm at, because we get so hot in the summer, uh, cold to us really has to get down. And I don't know what this would be in your temperatures, but cold to us really is when it gets down to about twenty five to thirty. That's pretty cold. I mean, that's pretty brutally cold down here. Now I know it gets much colder where you're at. Uh, you know, and again, you do Celsius, we do Fahrenheit, so I don't really want to get into this, you know, <laughs> scientific talk here. Like, you know, it'll be very entertaining. But I know up north, you know, when I when I've been up north before, I've said, oh yeah, it was really it's brutally cold. Or when I've talked to somebody who lives up north, it's brutally cold here, man. It's like uh, it's like you know, twenty degrees a day, like twenty degrees. It's like fucking negative five here, and the wind chill is like negative forty eight. And I'm like, I don't even know how you function in that weather, you know. So. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, sometimes where you live, you know, what you consider cold and not cold. I mean, maybe maybe people wear toboggan toques uh, and tank tops in Australia. I don't know. So I know it gets brutally hot there. I don't know how cold it gets there. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Again, let us know, please. Mm-hmm. Um, the tall thug talks about learning to dance in prison and he, he gives... I have to hope that it's meant to be groan-inducing and kind of a sleazy, hey, baby way, but I think he says it with enough conviction that he really means it and it's meant to be kind of a profound line, which I think is a problem I have with the film. The film is very middle brow, but thinks that it is higher brow than it is. That's probably my biggest complaint. Like he says, we could learn more about each other in 30 seconds of, of cheek to cheek than a lifetime of talking. Yes. Too bad, you didn't, too bad you didn't do your Australian impersonation there. Oh, I can't. I'm not going to do that because then I'll be in the uh, bad accent Olympics with uh, Andrew Barnarski and Miguel Nunez. Like, come on, Trev. You do yeah. that? You come fucking, on. You fucking bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lisa's character, uh, she kind of sticks up for the two when, when uh, Maureen, the older woman, uh, just says, hey, enough's enough. And she says, well, at least these guys are funny. And I'm like, really? That, that passes for... The humor, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think once you get to the twist part, uh, you maybe understand more what's going on there. Of course. Of course. Um, Okay, I'm not going to nitpick too much more. I'll try to get away from that. But I found it interesting that Maureen, who's, again, an older woman that's on the train that that just kind of gets involved in this by trying to stick up for Lisa. Uh, She says her husband's the captain of the local darts team. And I thought, I didn't think darts were that big. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought the same thing. But maybe they they are. Maybe they are in this area. I don't know. Maybe so. I know know the pub culture, obviously, over in the UK is big. But I guess it maybe is bled over there. But now here's where the film starts to get get good for me. and, And I start to really... 
my annoyance is starting to go away. And that's when Maureen delivers a monologue about her husband and about um, just the way he is and the way yeah. her life. And she, mm-hmm. again, she kind of does that thing where she's looking out a hundred paces while she's talking, just thinking, recounting her life and right. has some broken dreams and stuff. And I thought, okay, if they can get away from some of this flashy ninth rate Tarantino dialogue and they can focus on the heartfelt stuff, then I might buy it. Yeah, I think that, and we'll, I'll talk more about that scene uh, on my end, definitely. Uh, I think that, you know, they're establishing these characters as pains in the asses. And uh, I think that's okay. And I know it got it got to you, especially the Trev character. But I think that they do that for a good reason. I think that, you know, establishing them as this these, these you know, two shits, basically. Uh, I think it works well when that scene happens. I think it establishes the Maureen scene even more well. Uh, this actress, Jillian Jones... Uh, great-looking actress, older lady, uh, middle-aged, I'd say, maybe a little older than that. Uh, got a great look to her face, very realistic. She puts in this mm-hmm. great little moment. You can tell she has a, I, I think, my interpretation was she has a drinking issue. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason why is because of the way she takes the swig off the whiskey bottle and the way it feels so good for her. It's almost like a, it's almost like an orgasmic-type feeling for her to get this drink of whiskey. Numb and numbs her, and I guess in retrospect, because at first I thought there's no way she's taking a drink from this guy, but I think you nailed it. She probably was an alcoholic to get to get rid of some of these problems she had with her husband mm-hmm. and her life, and she kind of used that to numb herself. And I really like that moment with uh, the tall thug. I like that uh, what he keeps saying in the film is what really worked for me was is that everybody has a story, mm-hmm. and I love that he kept kind of harping on that and getting these stories out of people, and everybody has a story and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, that was a great moment. That was a great scene. You're, you're right. That was a fucking perfect, almost almost perfect scene within this film, which I don't think is perfect, but I think it's pretty good. And that really, and you'll hear me, like I say, you'll hear me talk about it in the make or break. I mean, it's it's fucking pitch perfect. I love that scene. Yeah, really dug it. Um, things, and then things started to really get interesting for me when some of these reveals start happening. And there's two or three or four reveals kind of heaped on top of each other that each one added more and more. I'm like, oh, interesting. Mm -hmm, So I really got into that. I'm going to stay, of course, intentionally cryptic on that. Mm -hmm. Another reason I think that this guy likes Tarantino is he even includes the Tarantino foot shot of uh, Lisa's character, (laughs) bare feet. Yeah, and she's not really my type. I don't. I don't really dig on. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that you know she's uh, unattractive because she isn't. She's attractive, uh, but she's blonde, very slender, and everything else. But I found her very appealing in this film. Me too. Me too. For some inexplicable reason, because yeah. she isn't t- conventionally what I like. But I found her again. Yeah, some something about her appealing. Something is something about her face or something. I mean, I found her very appealing and uh, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> uh, I just have one more note. Just kind of what I talked about with Maureen's uh, stuff is. When the dialogue was heartfelt mm-hmm. and it wasn't trying to be flashy, showy, the guy Richie, all that nonsense, uh, it definitely was better to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, it gets uh, a bit ridiculous with the red sleeves Apache talk and chanting and near the end, which I just slightly, slightly soured the moment for me. But um, I just, I really like that stuff. If they had stuck to more heartfelt stuff instead of trying to be flashy, showy, it would have done wonders for me and the goodwill for the film as a whole, as opposed to a portion of the film. Okay. I'll kick it over to you. All right. All right. That's fair enough. That's a fair review. I, I, I see where you're going. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I like films that are dialogue driven like this. This might be one of the reasons why I like the film more than you. Uh, and I like, you know, I like these kind of sometimes when they do the stage play thing to screen and they use the one location. But, you know, I do agree with you. You have to buy the characters. And I think I bought Trev and Tall Thug more. Uh, than you did. I think you like Tall Thug. I just don't think you like Trev. And I didn't mind Trev so much. I mean, I agree he's an irritation. 
uh, and you know, basically, this kind of uh, you know, to be un, you know, to be non politically correct, this kind of retarded behavior, uh, and I mean that not in the uh, derogatory way, but I mean that in his behavior is so socially retarded. Uh, you know that he's that kind of he's that kind of thug that I can't stand. The one that has muscle to back him up, and you know he's the weasel basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that of course is always a character that's supposed to irritate you, and obviously it irritates you. But it, it worked for me. I th- you know I I still believe that the tall thug would surround himself with a guy like this because that makes sense. Because nobody else is going to hang out with this tall thug guy. He's he's such a jerk in some ways, and yet in other ways he's a guy that doesn't want to be this person that he is. He somehow gotten caught up in it, and it kind of goes with everything, you know, his confusions and his 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 ways of life and all these things, the prison time he served, and and of course, you know, when you get to some revelations later on, you get to see some other things, and the stuff starts coming to light. The problem might be that it does take a little too long to get there, and that the film is too long. The film may be just a little bit too long. Uh, that that might be one of the biggest issues I had with it. it just took a while. Again, I know nothing of Perth. Uh, I'd like to know if there's a CD element there. Uh, Rach, if you can let us know, I'd be curious. I've always heard that Australia is like this uh, practically crime-free type uh, continent, which is kind of odd considering its history. Uh, but uh, that's what I've heard. I don't know for sure. I mean, I, I don't do enough research, and hopefully I'm not offending anybody in Australia, criminal or otherwise. <laughs> make, yeah, fun, exactly. make, make fun of their criminals. They'll call in and say, look here, fucking yike. <laughs> That's a terrible Australian accent. I think there's an air of danger from the thugs. I think they work it out pretty good. I mean, obviously, there's supposed to be this comedic element with the Tom Budge acting with the Trev and, and stuff. But I think that, you know, there's this air of kind of danger, of kind of sexual tension uh, throughout the the film that I kind of liked. Um, I've always found desperate people scary uh, because... You know that the, they have nothing to lose, and they got this kind of bravery and aggressiveness that, uh, you know, that obviously I don't have in my personality. I'm not desperate like that, but I always find it very interesting when a human being gets so desperate that they'll do just about anything, even if it makes no sense, even if it's the most disgusting thing, and I don't approve of it. I still find that kind of stuff more interesting uh, on film or in my stories and stuff because I like to put myself in that situation and think, what would I do? You know, if I'm if I'm this person, where would I go? Well, how you know? Because I haven't had that life, so. Where where would I go with it and stuff? So I always find that desperate characters are probably some of the most interesting uh, kind of narrative characters to have in films, and I kind of like that. I kind of like the tall thug. I don't feel like Trev was uh, desperate. I feel like Trev was a junkie who probably had a privileged life, and then got hooked up with the tall thug. And the tall thug is this. It was the desperate character who made some mistakes, and uh, you know now he's paying for them. Uh, the film's obviously low budget, but it's very well shot. I agree with you on that. It looks great for what it is. Uh, the director does have an eye. There's no doubt about this. Uh, oh, yeah. I think Rachel has told me. I think she said something on the thing too. I think she she rides this. She said this is her train line. No way. So uh, I'd be curious, you know, if that is actually you know the train that you know from uh, Midland to Fremantle. She says that's her train line. So I'd be interested to see, you know, if she's got any whiskey bottles under the seats hidden anywhere. <laughs> and how close? I know the cemetery and doing some research research isn't as close to the subway as they make it seem. But how close is that cemetery? Because that's kind of bizarre. That- there's a subway station at a cemetery. Yeah, I kind of feel like those establishment shots were this. You know, that's a that's a good way to add some production value to a film that's very minimal. Yeah, by shooting outside, you know, and not showing the characters, but shooting outside in these open spots. You know, it adds it adds a uh, you know production value and stuff. But obviously, this train was moving. This wasn't a train that oh, was yeah. sitting still. I mean, because if you're going to do low budget, you're not going to have the money to run CGI behind the characters the whole time. So I'm assuming they shot it uh, well. Uh, the dynamics for me are just right. 
I think that it's pretty good. Uh, again, I don't want to get into a character in the, on the train that I can't really get into. I don't want to get into a lot of that stuff, but there's some really good dynamics going on uh, among the characters, I thought. I thought the sleaziness of the tall thug toward Lisa was interesting. I also found it interesting that she was kind of turned on slightly by it. Kind of, uh, you know, I, I kind of found that interesting. The Marine character was great. Uh, they give her just enough to do that makes her interesting for me. I just think overall, I like the film a lot more than you, and I think I just, it, I think it might just come down to Will when we was talking about when we were doing the Street Fighter review that you might like, you like that more maybe because of your affection for the game. I think maybe it might be my affection more for single location films, which mm-hmm. I've always kind of adored, and uh, you know, I think it, it's pretty good. I admit there's a little bit of some flaws in the writing and some flaws in the filmmaking, and maybe a couple flaws in some of the acting choices, but. I think overall it's a it's a pretty solid little independent film, and I'm glad you know she turned me onto it because I I never heard of it, and that's one of the great things about doing these podcasts. I mean, I never would I never would have watched this film. Uh, this oh film. no, absolutely not. We wouldn't have had a reason to. No, I was that's the great thing about doing a Ladies Appreciation Month, and like I said, Rach, don't feel like oh well, you know, <laughs> I'm shit Kenny. I'm glad I watched it because there was something I liked it a lot more once I'd seen it and had a chance to talk about it with you and just think it over, and I would have never seen it. And hey, seeing a film from another country that I've Never would have seen as a good thing. Yes, always, always good to be enlightened even more. Uh, but that's pretty much it. I mean, I'll, I'll disagree with you, man. The twist I think was handled very well, and pretty much from the Maureen confession scene on, it's really the the biggest narrative hook. I mean, it really sinks its hook into you. Then it, mm-hmm. it does take a little too long to get there, but once it hooks you, it's got you for the last uh, twenty twenty to thirty minutes. It's got you pretty good. Oh yeah. So that's my thoughts on Last Train to Frio. Let's hear what you got for uh, MVTs, Maker Bricks. Um, I would have went with Maureen's scene, but I don't think that would have been enough if that was all there was in the film. So what made it for me was the start of all the reveals in the film. Mm-hmm. Okay. As much as Maureen's scene is probably my favorite, uh, what made it for me and really rose the score up for me uh, was the start of the reveals and stuff mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Um, my MVT, though, was the heartfelt monologues because there's a couple of them in this film two or three, mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. And like I said, I think they're the strength of the film from a writing standpoint and then delivering the lines from the actors. So I really enjoyed those. Um, specifically the Tall Thugs monologue and Maureen's monologue. Mm-hmm. My score for the film is a 6 out of 10. Okay. Um, I, again, I know I'm in the minority. A lot of people liked this film more than I did. Um, I would highly recommend everyone check it out. Make your own opinion. I think there's enough good here that even if you are in the same boat as me, you can see that there's enough good stuff there that makes it worth your viewing. So... Uh, yeah, that's my score. I think it's a higher score than I actually thought you were going to go with. That's kind of like your surprise, I think, when I gave uh, Tenebrae a six. Uh, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you yeah. thought I was going to, you know, for the things I didn't like about it, you know, I still <laughs> thought it was a pretty, you know, pretty above average film. So, Well, I think, you know, because it's a first-time filmmaker or, you know, early on in his filmmaking career, uh, low budget, I, I got to factor everything in. And I think all things considered, you know, there was a lot more positives than negatives here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can understand, again, I, I, I had a feeling that Trev was going to be an issue for you after I watched the film. <laughs> I, I just had a feeling, only because I know you personally. Yeah. Uh, that I was like, I don't think Will's going to like Trev too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my uh, make or break is the scene with Maureen. Uh, again, I think it's that desperation moment where she admits to something that, you know, it does seem ludicrous that somebody would admit this very personal information to somebody they just met. But at the same time, sometimes when people are desperate, they do things like this. And, uh, you know, I found it very interesting the way that, you know, the tall thug looks at her. I mean, you can see real emotion on his face when she's telling the story. 
and it really humanizes his character because up until that point he's just literally he is like the character name he is the tall thug Mm-hmm. He has no real characteristics other than the fact that he likes to say fucking and, yeah. <laughs> you know, all yeah. that stuff. I mean, and he, you know, he's got this kind of wicked kind of Cheshire Cat uh, kind of grin that he has. He does. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, up until that moment, uh, I felt like he was just he was just a tool to get the story moving. But after that, I kind of got with his character a little bit. And then, of course, that works for what transpires later. Um, I'll give him the MVT, Steve Lamarquand. I, I look forward to more work from this guy. He's not... Uh, incredibly old. I mean, he's in a moment where he can do some real good heavy work in his career. He's born in 67, so he's not uh, an old man by any name. He's got a nice face, uh, nice and grizzled look. I mean, I'm not saying he looks like this all the time, but he's got a very, uh, you know, a very kind of manly face, kind of faces like we like from the 70s actors and stuff. Very uh, uncharacteristically, uh, I guess, handsome would be the word. Uh, again, I'm giving... He, he, he's not like a tiger beat hunk. Like you said, yeah, character actor, 70s, totally nails it. Yeah, yeah. He's got that kind of... Kind of, there's something handsome about the guy. Again, I'm giving Bill all kinds of shit to to give his uncles, but I'm comfortable with my sexuality, Bill. So fuck you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no. Either way, uh, I think he's really good in the film, and I think it's it it for me. It's worth it to check this film out uh, for if especially if you're a low budget filmmaker fan, first time filmmaking uh, fan, you want to check out some people' new work or a film from Australia and a good a good lead role, good acting. And uh, so good stuff. And uh, I'll give this I'll give this film very much. This is the probably the biggest. And this might be the biggest difference we've ever had on this show. I'll give this one an eight out of ten. Oh, wow. So from a six to eight, I think that might be the most we've ever disagreed. And again, because we're true gentlemen, you, you'd never be able to tell we disagreed. <laughs> yeah, I know it's true. It's very true. <laughs> so, yeah, I give it an eight out of ten. I really like this film. Uh, good stuff. Very good stuff. All right, so that is our review of Last Train to Frio. We are going to take a short break. We're going to come back. we got a good chunk of listener feedback to get through, and we will be back right after this. Hello. Are you looking for reviews of the minute details of fine cinema? What does that mean, Daddy? Are you looking for knowledgeable discussions of directorial decisions? We don't do that. Are you looking for profound and deeply insightful critique of film as an art form? Dad, I don't even know what you're talking about. Then hello everyone, I'm Dr. J and this is my daughter. KK! And we're here to bring you Family Movie Night. No, we don't offer you all that, but what we will offer is movie reviews that will help you to make viewing choices for what to watch with your children, nephews and nieces, or the kid down the street you have to babysit for the weekend. Are you tired of endless reruns of Hannah Montana? Hey, I like Hannah Montana. Then join us for Family Movie Night. You can find us on iTunes or at our website, www.fmnpodcast.com. Listener feedback. I'm throwing down coffee like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I'm like an addict this morning, man. I'm like it's like spilling down my chin, going on my shirt. 
<laughs> I'm a total mess. It's like a coffee bukkake. <laughs> yeah, it rhymes, too. It's got a nice ring to it. Nice. Even though it doesn't mean anything pleasant. You got a coffee yeah. bukkake going. <laughs> so, we got uh, a few emails and some uh, quite a few voicemails, so I'm ready when you are. Let's do it. The first one is from uh, good friend John, uh, Andy, actually, sorry. Uh, and the title is The Awesome Sounds of Night Beast. Hey, guys, I'm a big fan of your show, and I just had to write in because no one's mentioned this yet. The music for Don Doler's Night Beast was composed and performed by a 16-year-old J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Yes, the new king of sci-fi got to start pretty young. Congrats on the babies and keep it hairy. Andy. <laughs> keep it hairy. <laughs> Speaking of Bukaki. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, I actually found that out after I watched the documentary. I don't know why I never brought it up. I just never did, but it is an interesting little piece of trivia. Yeah, it's really interesting that he was working 16 years old and he did a score. I mean, yeah, it's. I, I want to look now and see what he did from 16 to, I don't know, 28 or 30, whatever it was when Lost really took off. He's, uh, he was, I guess, destined for something, so that's pretty awesome. I hear the sounds of the honeycombs. Mm. <laughs> yes. We we talk we talk about the uh, the the uh, I was gonna say the human butterfinger, but he's not quite human. And then we uh, get into the honeycombs. Yeah, the human butterfinger. <laughs> nice, nice. I gotta see. I still gotta see Night Beast, man. I gotta grab it soon. Yeah, I know that Emily watched it recently, and uh, she said she was. Not, she says that the love scene may have changed her life. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, uh, of course, I know. I bet she was being you know sarcastic, but. Uh, she did see it recently. She hasn't contacted us yet about it. But I'm sure she will. Yeah, that uh, I saw the clip on YouTube. The guy, and it, I just I got to see it, man. That's all there is to it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Okay, so the next one uh, is from uh, Michael, and it says "Dirty Ho and Blue." Greetings from the British Isles, gentlemen. From Michael H. Thought I would write a short email recommending two films that might be in keeping with the show. Both of you may have heard of them or already seen them, but I thought they were worth mentioning. First film is Electric Light and Blue, a 1973 drama from the perspective of a motorbike police officer who has dreams of becoming a detective. I'd never heard of it until I found it was going to be released on DVD in Britain last year, and it turned out to be a great film. Plus, it also has one of the most memorable endings I've seen in a while. Let's just say it has a long tracking shot with the camera, and I will say nothing more. Second film is the 1979 Shaw Brothers film, Dirty Ho. I have very little knowledge of martial arts films, let alone the Shaw Brothers, but this is also a great film with Gordon Liu and incredible fight choreography. I don't know if it's available in the States, but it can be found on YouTube. With regards, uh, and then it says, P.S. I want to see the Charles Bronson film, Mr. Majestic, now. Call me a sick individual, but violence against watermelon sounds, <laughs> immediately sounds fun. Does that mean wishing violence against fruit is something to get therapy for? <laughs> Lettieri is the most dangerous watermelon molester I've ever met. Yes, and he is to watermelons, but Silva is to mannequins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Killer of fruit. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, he, he brought up a Dirty Ho. It's funny he brings it up. That's uh, been on our roadmap for a little while now. Yeah, well, it, the thing is, he really has a finger on the pulse because Dirty Ho's been on the roadmap forever, and Electric Light and Blue's on our new roadmap. Um, it's a fantastic film. I know both of us love it. Uh, it's, it's just yeah, an incredible film. It's a shame the director made one movie only. But, uh, yeah, good good uh, uh, thinking there, Michael, that they were sort of our kind of films, because they certainly are. Yeah, they definitely are. 
We'll be talking and, about and, them soon. I don't know when, but we'll be talking about them soon. And we may be procuring. Uh, actually, if we end up something, no, we wouldn't be doing those together because they were both on my end. But he did sort of name them appropriately as far as CGTMC names go. Yeah, the Dirty Ho and Blue. Yeah, that, that's probably the way I would have went. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I would have went. Maybe maybe that or Electra Ho and Blue. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like the Electra Ho. <laughs> Wicked. Uh, next one is from a very good friend that we had heard from in quite some time. The title is "I Miss You." Due to a bit of laziness and my sudden urge to want to move out of my parents' house due to the distance of my job, I've been behind on episodes. I have no internet at the moment. Uh, I still need to catch up on my GGTMC, and I will. But I just want to say, love you always, Valencia. Ah, oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, we hadn't heard from V in a while, and it seems like she's been quite busy. So hopefully, she'll get back to uh, listening to podcasts and you know, just moments of leisure, moments of just relaxing, listening to the. Dulcet tones of the GGTMZ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I said to her, you know, moving out, you can be a little lonely at first, but once she kind of settles into a rhythm and, and stuff, I'm sure she'll, she'll enjoy it. Like you said, get back to some leisurely activities. So we love you, V, and, uh, and we'll, we'll hopefully hear from you soon. Yep, yep. All right, so we got some voicemail. Uh, let me cue some up here. There we go. Well, hello, William and Samarik. This is Metal Mikey here. You know, keeping up the rear, as in my way of saying, yeah, I'm still way fucking behind on shows, but oh well, what can you do? Uh, this is mainly commentary for your cool striker episode, but first off, I do want to say I'm glad that one of my fellow listeners, Mark, has been catching up on Gentleman's Guide, and he will find that Gentleman's Guide is infinitely oceans better than Action Attraction, which I promise we'll be recording again this week. But anyways, back to the notes about the show. First off, to you, William, uh, I have been meaning to check out RoboWar for a while. I mean, in my notes, here, and it still remains true, Bruno Matai and Red Brown are sort of like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of films. I mean, they're two <laughs> tremendous elements being combined into one package. <laughs> one yummy package. But, I don't know, I remember inquiring a while ago about Cinema de Bazaar getting a copy, and I may have to do that now with Deadly Prey, because I so want to get my hands on Deadly Prayer as well. And I am happy to see that Sam's Lord Humongous impersonation returns on this episode. <laughs> it filled my heart with such pride and joy and bliss to hear him talk about the oil. <laughs> and speaking of alumni that I can't say if she's returned or not, but it was great hearing her, namely William's wife with her stunning commentary on the shoulder pad pussy mamas from Stryker. <laughs> wow. Mrs. William, if I may, bravissimo. You have earned yourself a definitive slot in the GTTMC lexicon. <laughs> and both of you had a great point about the modern action star commentary. Yeah, they tend to be usually pretty bland. I mean, there's nothing really that tends to set them apart. Although, really, calling Channing Tatum an action star is kind of a stretch. I mean, he's only been in G.I. Joe. As far as I know, he hasn't done anything outside of that in terms of action. Unless you want to count, you know, a Nicholas Sparks adaptation as action, which in my case, at my workplace, yeah, Nicholas Sparks is the cat shit, but still, I don't really consider that fucking action. And finally, if I haven't mentioned the word action enough, then I'm saying to Piccolo, man, if Action Fest is an annual tradition... 
count me in. I want to get there. I want some of that action. Nice. Okay, I'm going to shut up about that. Shut up about that A word. I'm not going to say it anymore. In fact, I'm going to wrap up this voicemail. So you, William, and you, Sam, you take it easy, and I will talk to you again soon. Oh, bye. <laughs> All right. The middle one himself. He had a lot to say as far as action goes. <laughs> yes. He was very active on the action front. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass along... Uh, to Mrs. Willie, the kind words about the shoulder-padded pussy mamas. Uh, she was providing some wonderful insight into the Miles O'Keefe, William Smith, Don Stroud film I watched yesterday. So I bet she was. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, she's still in it to win it as far as commentaries go. But, so, thanks, Mike. Yes, yes, good stuff. Uh, yeah, now he definitely should uh, contact Mark as much as possible for this out-of-print stuff. Um, uh, Robo War, I'm sure... Mark can hook him up in some way. Oh, yeah. In some way, some capacity. I hope he's hooking people up with that Deadly Prey thing. I don't know. I haven't checked, but I hope so. Yeah, and if he hasn't gotten with you guys for whatever reason, I mean, it should never get to this because their customer service is just unrivaled. Um, But if for some reason they're so inundated and they haven't gotten back to you, then shoot us an email and we'll try to get with them. Yep. Um, No, but it shouldn't get to that. They're pretty good about getting back to people. Yep. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Shoulder-padded pussy mamas. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know what's going to catch on with listeners. Uh, you really don't. I don't even recall that being said. That's how out of it I was. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's in it's in the lexicon. It's going to, you know, every time I see some badass chicks, I'm like, shoulder-padded pussy mamas. should be like an electro all-women's music group or something. <laughs> Shoulder padded pussy mamas. With the V type shirts, you know, like the shirts that yeah. make their whole body look like a V. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shoulder padded pussy mamas. All right, next voicemail. Gentlemen, I just got done listening to the podcast about uh, Mr. Majestic and Walking Tall. And um, one thing that I would like to bring up about uh, Mr. Majestic and the Renda character is he has really, really imposing, intimidating, and large nostrils. <laughs> oh, um, on Walking Tall, um, I have to bring this up. I know Large William means no offense by this, but every time somebody does this, and he's not the only one, being a Walking Tall fan and reading the books about Buford Pusser. Uh, one thing that just is like nails on a chalkboard to me is when somebody says Buford T. Pusser. <laughs> Buford T. Justice was Jackie Gleason in Smokey and the Bandit. Buford Pusser's middle name was Hayes. Buford Hayes Pusser. There is no Buford T. Pusser. But that's just a little screw up, but it just, uh, her. Anyway. <laughs> So I had to jump on the phone as soon as I heard that. <laughs> uh, you guys were talking about um, the gambling and stuff like that, and it seemed like you were kind of more or less like, you know, Sammy said that he like, has gambled and done stuff and that it was, you know, more or less Pusser was against that coming into his uh, town or whatever. Well, the state line mob was pretty much a, it wasn't just like uh, like we have gambling today where you go in and have slot machines or go to Vegas or something like that. I mean, this was a, a uh, I mean, brutal, vicious uh, cabal, loosely knit cabal of uh, organized crime. And uh, 
they had um, these roadhouses uh, where they'd have a big sign out front that said, you know, uh, ham and egg uh, breakfast for, you know, 25 cents or something. And they'd get the people in there, and uh, the gambling, the, the uh, gambling was fixed. Uh, so the chances of you winning were like almost nothing. Uh, uh, that the woman that uh, was portrayed, her name was Louise Hathcock. Uh, her name in the movie was, uh, I think, Callie. Uh, this this old bitch uh, would like <laughs> actually, you know, hit uh, guys, hit customers over the head with a ball peen hammer, drunk customers, uh, and they would roll them and steal their money. They'd murder people, everything else. So it was a lot more than just you know, uh, having a gambling house. These people were, you know, scumbags involved in murder and everything else, uh, white slavery and everything else. Uh, getting short here, a uh, movie that I saw oh, uh, was uh, uh, The Sergeant with... Ah, uh, oh, jeez. God damn it, I'm going to get cut off. <laughs> 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 I can't remember. Um but anyway, I'm going to get cut. Rod Steiger, and this is a movie that uh, you will not expect uh, it to be what it is. It has John Philip Law in it, too. And another movie is Miami Expose with uh, Lee J. Cobb. Check it out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Some good stuff there from Doc Zom. Uh, interestingly, you know, it, having a, a gambling house in the South, all you got to do is put up the words ham and eggs, and, and trust me, people will show up. So I can understand why they were getting so many customers. <laughs> It's like ham and eggs, twenty five cents. Fuck yeah! Yeah, I'm there, man. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, some brutal stuff. I mean, I know there's a lot more history we could have went into. I mean, but uh, to be honest with you, that the show would have been, you know, it would have been epic. And uh, it's good to have the listeners out there really into the state line mob and stuff, and the pusser, uh, no trivia. Yeah, yeah, and my apologies again for the tea I said to Sammy off the air. I only know of two Bufords ever. <laughs> yeah. They both happen to be in cinema and be in law enforcement. So yeah. reasonably honest mistake, but nonetheless a mistake. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, and like you just said, Sammy, yeah, I mean, we could have spent a whole episode on that, but we made a conscious decision to focus more on the film and and whatnot as opposed to uh, the history and uh, and. Fact. Yeah, because what what I did in preparation for that show is I went and did a bunch of pusser research, and uh, I'm sitting here thinking about the shoulder padded pussy dolls and the or pussy <laughs> whatever it was and the, the pusser, the word pusser and pussy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of puss and puss going around this morning. Uh, I was I, I wrote a whole bunch of notes, probably like two pages of notes on the reality of the pusser thing. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to take it a different angle. I'm just going to work on the film because. I knew that if we started talking about the reality, we'd get into a conversation that would last for a long time. Because, as you guys know, Will and I like to talk to each other, so we'd have really yeah. got we'd have really got going, and we just didn't really have the time to do that. So, uh, I just basically uh, shit canned those notes. So it was a lot of research, and I know a lot about it, but I just didn't bring it up. So I didn't know as much as Doc Zom though, who just uh, signed on to Skype, and I'm worried he's going to hit me up here any second. That guy has books and books and books on the puster thing. He's been recommending books to Pickleloaf. Um, so I know that uh, he would be the man to speak to if you want to know something about the state line mob. Yeah, and the sergeant. I've never seen the sergeant. I think I have seen the other one he talked about, Miami Expose. I think I have seen that. Not positive, but I think I have. I've seen an uncanny amount of John Philip Law films. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where that comes from. I really don't. All right, uh, next voicemail. Another one from Doc. Here we go. 
I had to, wanted to add one last little thing, and this is a spoiler alert <laughs> for Walking Tall, so don't listen if you haven't seen the movie. Uh, the part about him having uh, a, uh, everybody, uh, spoiler alert, uh, the part about him having a cast on his face uh, when he was, when him and his wife were shot, uh, actually the his um, like lower jaw was actually blown off of his face. Ooh. So that's why he had a cast on his face. And uh, if you see pictures of uh, Buford Pusser uh, before and after uh, that incident, they actually have a picture of him uh, laying on the gurney uh, when that happened uh, with his head turned sideways, but there's blood all over. Um, you know, that uh, was pretty brutal. And his face, you can see in the later pictures, the scars and everything and how his face is kind of deformed. But anyway, I just want to say that in. Bye. All right. He gave you the spoiler alert, but yeah, that, that's... Ugh, that's hideous. How can somebody survive that, man? It's just crazy to me. Well, he, he's a bad motherfucker. That's how. I mean, this guy got shot nine times and dragged himself home and shot, you know, probably took the ball-peen hammer in the head. And, yeah, shot in the face with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, and I saw the pictures post-blast. Uh, um, he, he, You could tell there was, there was some pretty bad scarring, but he wasn't like a, a completely deformed. But yeah. It was clearly he had a run-in with something that, that didn't end well. Must have just caught him just perfectly, uh, as yeah. bad as that sounds. I mean, I just thought about the way that sounded when I said it, but must have just hit the jaw almost perfectly. All right, mm-hmm. won't talk about that too much. So, spoiler alert is over. <laughs> Here we go, next voicemail. Hi, Willie and Samurai. It's the new improved head. <laughs> this is the new head that's going to be nice all the time. Uh, and I watched four movies in the past four days. I saw Rambo 2, Rambo 3, Missing in Action 2, The Beginning, and Braddock, Missing in Action 3. And here's a couple of my favorite parts of each movie. In Rambo 2, my favorite part was when Stallone said, Are we going to win it this time? Even though he's a draft dodger. I love that. <laughs> and it also starred GGTMC favorite Charles Napier. That was awesome. My favorite part of Rambo 3, and by the way, I think Rambo 3 is a very underappreciated movie. Yes, it has us helping the Taliban, which is a bit of a problem, but I think it's a great action <laughs> movie all the same. My favorite part of this is when Stallone has to cauterize the wound that, that he had when he was shot. And he puts gunpowder in it and lights, lights it on fire, thus igniting through the wound, just like he's lighting his farts. Now, on the missing in action two, the beginning, I call shenanigans on Braddock as played by Chuck Norris. He never gets shot. No matter how many people are shooting at him, he never gets hit, and he kills everybody. Uh, my third part of missing in action two is when, in the beginning, the helicopter goes down, and everybody jumps out of the helicopter, and one by one as they jump out, it says, Missing in action! Missing in action! Missing in action! That was awesome! Now let's move on to Braddock, Missing in Action 3. My favorite part of Braddock, Missing in Action 3, was the theme song, which went something like this. There's a bridge to freedom! My other favorite part was the black jet boat that Chuck Norris has when he jumps out of the plane and lands in the river. It's funny to see a futuristic jet boat in Vietnam. That was cool. And the other thing I liked about it was... The uh, the guy that ran the prison camp, the Vietnamese guy, his name was General Kwok, which was funny. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys, out of both series, Rambo and Missing in Action, which are your favorites out of the series? And I also <laughs> wanted to ask you a question. If either of you guys have seen a movie called Country Blue, a.k.a. On the Run, 
It's on the Mill Creek Driving Collection, and I think it's cool. It's a, it's a cheap knockoff of Smokey and the Bandit, and I liked it a whole lot. And congratulations, you guys, on all having kids. It's so wonderful. I love it. It's great. And, and you can look forward down the road when they're like 18 years old, and you get that phone call at 3 in the morning, and you have to go bail them out of jail, which is just <laughs> wonderful. Have a great week, guys. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Oh, one of Het's many new characters, evidently. The happy hit. <laughs> yeah, the over-caffeinated happy, happy hit. <laughs> uh, yes, okay, so uh, what is... Let's see if you got an answer. What's your favorite film of the Rambo series or your favorite film of the Missing in Action series? Can you name uh, one? Um, for Rambo, I'm probably going to say either First Blood or for different... See, Rambo 1 and the most recent one, uh, I really enjoy for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first one for kind of the more serious nature of the film and commentary. The last one just for the the chunks the, <laughs> yeah. that are the Burmese chunks of man that are flying around. Yes, Burmese chunks. Uh, the Missing in Action series. I don't know. I haven't seen them in a really long time. The only thing I remember about any of them uh, is is the the underwater <laughs> bamboo prison they were in. Yeah, that, that's really all I remember. I mean, I got to revisit them at some point. Yeah. Uh, okay, so for me, it, it had to be First Blood as well, uh, and I, I agree with you. It's really, it's really kind of. I mean, I really want to throw Rambo in there too, but it's just because I've seen it so recently. I, I love, I love, uh, you know, almost all those films, and even Rambo Three. I agree with the head. It's ridiculous in a lot of ways, uh, but it's not. I mean, it's it's a it's a height of the '80s type. Of, I think it's late '80s action film, and uh, you know, it's kind of crazy and silliness. And I know people, you know, talk about the Taliban thing and everything else, but I mean, that, that's this perspective. I don't, I don't really think that has anything to do with liking or hating the film. But uh, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, far as the missing in action ones go, I can say that I like missing in action two a lot more. I like part one and three. I know that for sure. I think two is the one where he. Maybe it's one. I don't know. But I, my favorite scene is also involving water, and that's with him coming out of the water with the machine gun, which is just ridiculous because he'd have to be underwater for so long and the way the scene's set up. So evidently he has these amphibian-type lungs, uh, you know, where he can just be underwater for hours and then pop up with his heavy machine gun and just start rattling people off in slow-mo homoerotic fashion. Well, <laughs> he is Chuck Norris. Yes, I mean, they, they make sure you see close-ups of his pecs. Uh, he you kind of uh, you know kind of shaking as the gun shooting off so you know you can get oh, yeah. turned on by that <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> because again I'll, I'll say this and i say it every time why there's a slow motion shot of this man bearded man shooting a gun and they're showing me slow motion shots of his pecs my wife's not going to watch that movie dude <laughs> yeah so who's watching it <laughs> i agree <laughs> Shoulder padded pussy dolls, or what was it? Pussy mamas. There we go. I keep saying pussy, pussy dolls because of the fucking uh, that. Is that pussy a, is, oh, yeah, that's right. That's a group. Oh, god, what the hell? Dark secrets of Sammy's past. <laughs> and uh, no, I haven't uh, seen Country Blue actually. I've always meant to see Country Blue and I've never got around to it. I have to wreck yeah. it. I had to fix that. Yeah, no, me too. Sounds good. Haven't seen it. I need to check it out. All right, uh, next voicemail. Hey, gentlemen, it's Rupert. Um, just wanted to, was listening to Doc Zom on the voicemail, and, uh, Will, you had mentioned that Zom turned you on to, or had mentioned the, uh, This Network, and, um, I wanted to thank uh, both you and he for turning me on to it. I've, uh, found it on my cable system, 
and uh, have DVRs and movies, and it's generally on whenever I turn the TV on. It's sort of the channel that TV is stuck on. So there's always something interesting, like, uh, on there. There's some uh, How to Beat the High Cost of Living, I think, was on, which has got both um, Kate Jackson and Jane Curtin. So my wife and I were joking it was a Kate and Allie movie or something. But anyway, there's a lot of cool genre stuff on there, too. Um, uh, really neat channel. I wish it was widescreen, but uh, that's my only complaint, really. Uh, lots of very cool movies. Certainly one of the last channels like that that, or I mean, I know it's pretty new, but there just aren't that many like that around. Uh, so pretty, pretty neat stuff, and I owe it to, the, to you guys for turning me on to it. So thank you. Okay, bye. All right. Uh, I don't even know if I have that channel. What's that channel called again for our listeners? This. It's, I think it's called This Network or This TV or This Channel. It's the This Channel, I think. Okay. So I just want to make sure all the listeners out there who might not have, uh, you know, uh, heard us say it or talk about it or maybe couldn't understand what we were saying. Who knows? But, uh, you know, to check it out if they got it and stuff and let us know, uh, you know, what's going on out there. Let us know what I'm missing in Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking, I get Henry, they get Henry Silva. And a cock movie that's that's not available anywhere uh, on a Sunday afternoon with the Barbarian Brothers, and I get stuck watching AMC where where uh, where does it where Story Lives or yeah something, something I don't know <laughs> where commercials live yeah <laughs> where yeah. commercials live <laughs> it's a good point good point so yeah you guys uh, check it out and see if you guys have that channel let us know what's going on I don't know I have, again I haven't looked for it yet so. Maybe I need to do that. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hi, Skamise. Just calling back in about Death Rides the Horse. I'm finally catching up again. And, um, yeah, I, you know, maybe I need to watch it again because if you guys are, are praising it so high, then maybe I just wasn't in the right mood when I watched it or whatever because obviously it stuck with me over the years. But I will say that uh, Lee, Lee Van Cleef really made the show for me because a lot of times when you think of old movies, especially uh, dramatic films and stuff, you think of the old actors and they're being all serious and when they focus in on somebody in a dramatic scene they focus in on them and they've got a crazy look in their eye and sometimes they have that little light that zeroes in on their eyes and they do all this stuff that ah. and his performance Lee Van Cleef's performance in this really shows you that people back then could act act to the point where it's a completely normal believable character none of this crazy over the top stuff and and I think a lot of times we forget that. And nowadays it seems like they do things more and more realistic, even acting-wise. But back then, there are actors like that that really make you believe that they could have been an actual person in that actual situation. And I think that's a perfect example of that. So he is fantastic in it. I do think it's a great story. I love the camaraderie between them, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the little joke with the man and the horse was hysterical and really out of place, but it was, it was great nonetheless. Um, I think what really took me out, though, is actually the music, to me, is over the top. I, I, it's a great score and everything, but sometimes it's so intense that it just really takes you out of the moment. And um, John Philip Law, who, yeah, I saw Sinbad on there, but I don't know, that just didn't stand out to me as much. But um, he, he takes me out, his kind of acting and the way, because he's an example of what takes me out of the older movies. He's, like you said, he's just in there for the looks, he's got some great spots, and he, he can do some decent acting, and... And yeah, the shooting stuff was amazing, but it just—I don't know. Maybe it's the wooden thing, but he really just kind of made me go, ugh, you know. <laughs> and, and I kind of got the feeling that it was a, a copy or a, or a pull off of the Clint Eastwood movies that were coming out around the same time. So I don't know. 
I'll try watching it again some other time. And, and of course, because you guys love it, I'll probably love it a little more just because that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for reviewing it. I, I loved hearing your guys' take on it, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Um, you know, going off of something from memory and trying to watch it and then decide to ask somebody like you guys to review it. It was really kind of like, oh, man. You know, I hope they get something out of it. So I was very excited to hear you guys loved it so much. So, anyways, thank you, thank you, thank you, and goodbye. I'll tell you this, you know, that, that's part of the problem I have with going back and revisiting films from my childhood is that, uh, you know, I always feel like a little let down. And I just think it's, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's obviously just perspective and the way things change. But, uh, you know, she had talked about how that film, she had watched it with her dad and stuff. And she remembers, you know, all these things. I think that's part of it. I mean, because I could see going back and revisiting, especially if she got a hold of the muddy print uh, copy, which I bet she did. Uh, I bet that probably changes things quite a bit, too. Yeah, it absolutely would take a little bit away from the enjoyment. But thank you to her. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have gotten around to it for a little while longer uh, if she hadn't recommended it. I hope she does check it out again. It maybe has a bit of a different perspective. But she seems to remember a lot of the the key stuff uh, quite well. But, um, you know, teach their own. Some people, you know, don't like things as much as others. And that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, I mean, John <laughs> Philip Law, again, I, I said it when we reviewed him. I mean, he is, he is a face. He's always been a face. He's not... And he never was a great actor. He was just, uh, you know, one of those guys that had a great face. And obviously, I think, you know, we talked about it when we did the show that maybe they were trying to make him another one of the Nero copies, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, because that's just something that Italy would do. And, and uh, you know, he had the looks for it. And he, he's always been, he was, well, he always was kind of wooden and stuff. I enjoy him, but I enjoy him as, you know, wooden John Philip Law. I don't enjoy him as, you know, he's not exactly the actor I would say, you want to see some great acting? You know? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, too, is he's got a great voice. So he's yeah. a voice and a face. But yeah, beyond that, I mean, he's not bringing a whole lot to the table. But this performance, thankfully, required him to be a bit kind of reserved and. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's some stuff where he's done in the past that's been pretty bad. Although I will say, you know, he's good in Sinbad and he is good in. Uh, What's the oh? His my favorite film. His performance is is probably a Danger Diabolic. That's probably my favorite one. So and he's leaps and fucking bounds better than the black hole uh, of everything that is David Warbeck. <laughs> I mean, that guy sucks everything out of every movie he's in. Yeah, David Warbeck is. Uh, he's just, he's a special actor. <laughs> it's it's not even that he's bad. He just he lacks any kind of charisma or spark mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh. and she also talked about the one other thing again i will say that i think the reason why movie stars seem more real back in the day is i think they cast real people more i think they cast actors because they had a a nice bone structure or their nose was a little bigger or their ears stuck out a little bit more or they had a unibrow fuck i don't know uh but for some strange reason i feel like uh the late 60s into the 70s and early 80s you know, the movies felt like they were casting real people. And then, of course, you know, as much as I love that, I am I do have a guilty pleasure in the fact that we got these big steroid-pumped superheroes in the 80s. But, uh, you know, now I just feel like, uh, you know, most of the people that are around now, and this actually addresses another voicemail we were going to talk about that, uh, with, uh, well, that I was going to talk about, but I didn't. But now I just feel like everybody's a, a clone. I feel like George Lucas has gotten hold of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing the thing of it is, back then they were real people. It was men who'd served in the war. It was women who'd served in the war. It was guys that worked in the coal mine. Now it's these guys that have went to Juilliard and went to theater school, and they were a model that have been in a, a an entertainment bubble their whole lives that mm -hmm. they can't really bring much in the way of real life 
salt-of-the-earth experience and they're supposed to be playing a soldier or right. this or that. It just it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. They or don't they, have anything, any well to draw from, you know. Yeah, or they were an accountant like Mr. Van Cleef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can see him now. Would you like yeah. to look at the numbers? <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Demise, though. We, did, we really did enjoy the film. Uh, I'd seen it before, but Will, that was his first time, and you heard what he thought of it, and it was, it, was a, it was a great experience. So hopefully you'll revisit it and get a different feel from it the next time around. All right. Next voicemail. Hey, what's up, guys? The back of Forest Waker's neck. Last week, William brought up a documentary called The Dancing Outlaw, and I was... I have not seen it, but I was kind of curious if either one of you guys saw a movie called White Lightning. It's not the one with Burt Reynolds. It came out uh, last year, and it's inspired by the life of uh, The Dancing Outlaw. Uh, I, I liked the movie quite a bit. I was just kind of curious what you guys thought about it. And uh, it was kind of a weird... I, don't know, I had a weird experience watching it, because... I saw it video on demand, and I was home sick with the flu, with a fever, and the doctor gave me some weird drugs. And <laughs> the whole experience was just, I don't know, it kind of fused together all weird and shit. I don't know. It, it was, a, I don't know, it was just fucking weird. I guess that's a question, man. Have you ever all been on the flu or had a fever and watched some fucked up movie, and it all just kind of just fused all together, just... just <laughs> Katamari ball of madness experience watching. I don't know. Metal. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have not seen White Lightning. He, I think he asked me about that film a long time ago. I think I talked to you about that. And I still have not got around to it, Nick. So I'll try to get around to it as soon as I can. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it or not. I'm, yeah, I actually have it. Uh, I'd be willing to mail it over to you um, okay. in the next week or two once I've seen it. All right, nice. Uh, also, he does bring up a good question. This is a good question for all of our listeners, and a good question I'll put to you. Have you ever had a situation where you've been really sick like that and you know hopped up on some you know antibiotics or drugs of some sort, and you watched a film and you maybe had that experience where you really like something or something and... You know, and then maybe when you came back and revisited when you were well, you thought, like, "What the fuck?" I mean, have you ever had that moment? <laughs> uh, that's <clears throat> that's kind of a two-part answer for me. The first part is the the film I watched that I can always think of as being really fucking sick and being hopped up on medication was the third and final part of the Infernal Affairs trilogy. Nice. Uh, I mean, I was really sick. I haven't seen it since, so I can't tell you if it held up or not. Uh, I'm sure it held up to some degree, but. Um, Man, was I sick watching that fucking thing. I have one. Uh, this is going to be kind of funny, I think, for uh, you. Uh, it is uh, Luigi Cutsy's, uh Hercules from 83. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking loved this movie, and I, I was sick at the time. And, I, and my brother could back up the story. If, of course, he's not here, but he could. I was so sick. I had a flu or something, something really bad. And we rented this on VHS, and we watched it, and I was like, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, man. This is awesome. <laughs> of course, many years later, I rewatched it and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? It's definitely a what the fuck type movie, you know, but uh, it is it is fun. I mean, it's still fun. I still like it. I actually hope to maybe do that double deuce of those uh, Hercules films at some point in time in the future. The, oh, that the one, Castellari. <laughs> yeah, that one in the Castellari sequel. Yeah, nice. Because <laughs> we've never really done a Ferrigno, so I'm kind of, you know, hanging on to those in case we do some Ferrigno. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's not a whole lot of Ferrigno films that are GGTMC. Uh, well, I guess maybe there are. There's no, there's, there's a fight. There's an action movie, too, I think, called Cage. we gotta do. we got to do the Ferrigno and Lyle Alzado double feature, man. 
<laughs> nice, nice. What was the name of that second Hercules movie that he did? Uh, uh, I'm looking for it right now. Hercules Returns? No. Uh, I don't know, and I might have been mixing it up with a Sinbad Ferrigno Castellari film. You, I don't remember. You may have. I th- it seems like he made two Hercules films, though, but I can't remember. Maybe I'm just being crazy. All right, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> There's so many. I'm trying to sit here and look through Hercules films. There's so many fucking Hercules movies. <laughs> All right, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, gentlemen. This is uh, Mark from Southern California. Um, I've been listening to your episodes out of order. I you know, started subscribe, subscribing a few months ago and uh, went back and listened to the library. And uh, one of you keeps mentioning over and over again about movies that are so bad that they're good. Uh, that I thought I would give you one. I, I, I haven't listened to all your episodes, so maybe you might have mentioned this movie before. Maybe not. It's the Phantom of the Paradise, uh, Brian De Palma movie from about 1974, 75. Somewhere around there stars uh, Paul Williams, uh, I think Jessica Harper, Garrett Graham. Uh, and it, it's a story of uh, 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 Faust, or um, Dorian Gray kind of thing. A, a guy sells his soul to the devil so he can live for a long. Becomes a in this version, he becomes a record mogul. Uh, everybody adores him, and uh, he doesn't age. Uh, in one sense, it's real. I mean, it's really super campy, and but it's one of those movies that I really love to watch. And every time it's, I think I even have it on DVD. But if, it, if it's on the TV, I will always watch it. Uh, I love the music to this movie. And it's one of those ones where, um, you, I mean, you really either hate it or you love it. And if you love it, it's one of those movies that's so bad that you love it. You know, it's not uh, um, like brain science type of movie, you know. And uh, let's see what else was there. Um, oh, uh uh, one of, uh, I forgot which episode it was, but when you were talking about when you hear certain songs, you don't remind you of a movie. And uh, one of you mentioned um, All Along the Watchtower. I forgot what movie you mentioned that that, that reminds you of, but the one it reminds me of is a Bronx Tale, um, a Robert De Niro movie, Charles Palminteri. Um, I think there's a few other people that you might recognize or I might recognize, but... Uh, it's a story of uh, Robert De Niro as a bus driver and his son witnesses a crime, which I think is a guy is beaten to death. And even though he witnessed it, he pretended that he didn't know who or didn't see who uh, committed the crime. And Charles pa- Chaz Palminteri is a like mob boss or a high up, uh, you know, in the um, mafia, or maybe not even the mafia, just a anyway, a crime syndicate or whatever, and takes him under his wing because of that. And even though he's uh, doing all kinds of illegal stuff, he's trying to keep this kid out of trouble, you know, so hanging around the wrong crowd and stuff. So anyway, really good movie. And uh, um, in fact, I got the soundtrack from the movie because all the songs on there are really great. Anyway, uh, loving the show. And keep it up. Uh, I will be here for a while. Take care, guys. Bye. All right. Heard from Mark there. All right. So he asked, uh, first of all, uh, our opinion of Phantom of the Paradise. Well, he'll, I think he'll find that out when he gets through the back catalog, don't you? 
Uh, yes, you certainly will. So we'll 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 tease you with that. Yes, we'll tease him with that. And uh, what's what was the other thing? Uh, oh yeah, Bronx Tale. Yeah, I've seen Bronx Tale. I like Bronx Tale a lot. Love a Bronx Tale. And whenever I was uh, dating a girl after I'd seen it, I always waited for to see if they'd unlock the door for me. So, in fact, I think I even made a joke. To you, when I picked you up from the airport, I let you in first, and you reached over, and I said, oh, you must be the one. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You did make that joke. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's right. That's a little, little uh, personal information there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, 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 I'm the, uh, I'm your African-American girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> All right, so I'm sitting here just to kind of go off topic in a tangent. I'm going through Lou Ferrigno's uh, filmography, and I can't believe we haven't talked about covering Liberty and Bash. Uh, just look that up while I play the next voicemail here. Liberty and Bash. I will, Bash. but I, <laughs> I do want to say that Mark had asked what film I was talking about how long the Watchtower. I was talking about every Vietnam film when the helicopter is yes. landing. Yes, yes, it's like one of those staple uh, songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that one, and there's another one in those Vietnam movies, but I can't remember the name of it. I always thought the best Vietnam soundtrack was the uh, uh, overall. Uh, there's still great moments. I still think the end from the doors with the beginning of Apocalypse Now is just perfect. But also, I think that uh, Oliver Stone did a great job picking uh, his songs for a platoon. Totally, because he didn't just have the rock. He had some, like a lot of the Motown stuff. And- yeah, yeah, he had just had a lot of songs that reminded him of that time, and they really work good. Tears of a Clown's really great. And uh, oh yeah, isn't that when they're when they're smoking, uh, yeah. burning the weed? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So yeah. It's before Defoe got his a uh, a rod out and impaled Forrest Whitaker with it, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, next voicemail. Gentlemen, it's Scott calling from Toronto. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Will on baby number two on the way. That's uh, great news. It's nice that the two of you guys have. Uh, Baby's coming around about the same time. It's terrific. I've got uh, two myself. I can say it's twice the fun, for sure. Also, very cool choices by your mothers. I'm very, very impressed with them. Uh, I swear, if, if I had a show and did the same thing, my mom would like pick probably out of Africa, and I'd want <laughs> to hang myself probably. So uh, hats off to them, and happy Mother's Day to them. <laughs> Listening to some of your uh, back catalog and getting uh, some of people's input on the women with that certain je ne sais quoi that uh, aren't necessarily uh, have mass appeal but have something for you. Some of that fits into that category for me uh, goes back to when I first saw Goodfellas, and it's Debbie Mazar. Ah, man, I don't know. I always figured if I was a mobster, and I can't remember whether she was his first or second mistress, but she would have been right up my alley for a cokehead mistress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, 20 years later, she kind of still looks the same, so as long as she doesn't talk too much, we're good to go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I saw a movie last weekend, uh, I'd always wondered about it, called Electric Glide in Blue. wondered if you guys had ever seen that one with Robert Blake as a motorcycle cop. It's uh, wow, really fascinating little movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, has this strange way of fetishizing the desert and motorcycles, and the backstory behind it's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's on your roadmap, uh, but it, it would be a good one for you to check out. Uh, and one of you alluded to the fact that you'd recently seen a movie that you just couldn't get through because the print was so bad. I had a similar experience with a movie called Dan Candy's Law. Uh, it's a Canadian Western starring Donald Sutherland from the early 70s. Uh, it had some other terrible name. Uh, 
he plays a Mountie who's trying to track down the uh, guy who killed his partner in 19th century Manitoba or Saskatchewan or something like that. I rented this DVD and put out by Alpha Home Entertainment, maybe, and it was the grainiest, most bleached print I've ever seen in my life. I had to turn it off after 20 minutes. It was just brutal. So I'm just wondering, uh, maybe a question for everyone else out there, what's the worst print you've ever seen show up on a DVD? I was just shocked that someone took the time to put this thing out there in this kind of shape. Just wondering what's the worst you've ever seen. Anyhow, that's about it. Uh, take care. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Ciao. All right. Scott from Toronto, thank you for the kind words about the upcoming children. Mine is uh, right around the corner, to say the least. Yeah. yeah he, it was it June? It's June, yeah. mid June, right? Yeah, yeah. Mid to late June. He's uh he's actually been trying to lately he's been trying to get out of there on his own. We gotta kinda had to calm him down a little bit. It's been so, like uh Jim Brown trying to make the jailbreak. Yeah, trying to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh I'm trying to remember what else he uh he asked about the muddy uh bad print. Uh there's so many because you know, we watch so many of these uh out of print movies and hard to find movies, but uh I can't really. I mean, the Death Rides a Horse one's really bad. Uh, the one, the one I watched was really bad. Uh, I have not seen the Dan Candy's Law one. I've heard it's bad. There's another one though I have watched. Oh fuck, what was it? I mean, I know Candy Tan's remake, but that's actually probably never really got an actual V8 uh, DVD release. I don't think has it. No, it hasn't. You know, I think as a rule of thumb, Sammy, what we could say is most films that are in public domain that someone puts out on DVD, mm. they don't care. They're, they're just putting out like a VHS rip or something else. Generally, those are always the worst ones. Yeah, I mean, you just really don't know what the quality you're going to get are, especially if you buy those Mill Creek packs and stuff like that. I mean, the quality is a roll of the dice. So, Also, he did say Electric Light and Blue again. He said fetishizes in the desert and the motorcycles, but he also forgot to, that it fetishizes the, uh, the motorcycle cop outfit, the leather Oh yeah, it's very the boots. Yeah, the fe- it's very fetishist, uh, fet- fetishistic, fetishistic. <laughs> Sounds like some type of cheese or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it it fetishizes a lot of that stuff. So pretty interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think. I thought he had one more thing in there. Um, you know what? God, I don't remember now because I had to get up and answer the phone. Oh, <laughs> right way into the uh, thing. Um, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, if he, if he had anything important, he'll call back. I yeah. would like to play it again, but I think we I think we covered everything. I don't know. It's hard to sometimes the voicemails. It's hard to remember. I try to take notes while I'm listening to the voicemails, <laughs> so I remember what to answer and what not to answer. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Thank goodness I'm now actually nearing sick of talking. So this uh, message will actually be shorter than usual, or at least I'll try and get my shit out faster than usual. Oh, by the way, William and Rick, this is Metal Mikey. How y'all doing? So let's talk about the Rappin' Horse episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. First off, I must congratulate Large William and the household for having another addition to the gentlemen, or should I say gentle babies, of the house. So again, congratulations to you and the family. Now, most of my commentary seems to be on rapping because I have not seen it. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, rap in. I have not seen this movie, but after your review, I am highly tempted to check it out just for the absurdity of it. So, first off, I believe it was actually Rick that mentioned how Joker-like Mario Van Peebles is and the way that he naturally smiles. Hey, now, if you're as pretty as Mario Van Peebles, come on, you can afford to smile unnaturally from time to time. And I have to say, I have a decent love for old school rap songs, 
But I'm saying hands down, Snack Attack may be the worst rap song I've heard ever, <laughs> period. It may even put up a lot of the crunk shit that comes out these days in higher <laughs> pedestals. And I must give my kudos to the ladies of the GGTMC for picking some excellent films for this episode. Because I have not actually seen Death Rides a Horse yet, and after your review, I am itching to check this movie out. Because I do indeed love spaghetti westerns as well. And seeing more of Van Cleef in a not-quite-villainous role, at least from the sounds of it, it's highly tempting. And finally, I must thank Little William for the somewhat personalized greeting on the (laughs) feedback section of the episode. It really didn't... I'm ashamed to admit this, that I did actually have an awe moment, you know, in between combing down my magnificent chest hairs. But honestly, I remember there's a point where I think it was Rick asking, oh, does Mike, Middle Mike have a baby? Honestly, I'd be just as fucking shocked to have a baby show up here as anybody would be. As far as I know, I have no progenies. At least yet. <laughs> but anyways, just got done recording an episode of my own show. Avenging Angel is next up on the platter, people. There you go. So, anyways, I will talk to you all again later. You take it easy, and I cannot wait to hear your Mother's Day episode. So, hodios. It's funny. He uh, recently covered Street Fighter, and he recently covered Avenging Angel. So, got the heartbeat on the listeners uh, these two shows do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for the kind words. I'm sure we'll feel the same way. Absolutely, Mikey. Thank you so much, man. Nice stuff. All right. Uh, Yeah, definitely check out Death Rides Horse. Let us know what you think. Uh, Okay, next voicemail. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm back at Force Victor's Neck. Uh, I was catching up with some of your past week's shows. And, oh, by the way, I hope you don't get this message twice. I was having issues with the voicemail cutting me off. (laughs) But I apologize if you do get this twice. But uh, a couple weeks back, you guys were, Samurai was talking about Jaws. Uh, and Jaws 2, and you are absolutely right, man. Jaws 2 is a very underrated sequel. And it's one of my favorite in the Killer Fish, or I can't call it Jaws Ripoff because it is a Jaws Ripoff, in that genre. And it's a very, very, very important movie in this genre because I believe, and if I'm wrong, I know Rupert or Haven's Trash can correct me because they're the masters of the Jaws Ripoff, but. I believe it's the movie that started the grudge with a shark versus helicopter. And we'd see this <laughs> war wage on in uh, Deep Blue Sea, Great White, uh, the Megalodon movie with that dude from Best of the Best 2, the big blonde monster guy from Viking Saga goes hunting for Megalodon in a helicopter. Shit, what the fuck's the name of that movie? Uh, shark Attack in the Mediterranean or High Alarm, one of those. And... Um, Megaprana recently went after a helicopter in uh, Megaprana. But anyway, it started the war. And <laughs> William, how can you forget if you saw Jaws the Revenge, man, the masterpiece that is. <laughs> Michael Caine, named after a sandwich. Marine biologists discover the rarest great white shark ever. It stalks people from Amityville, Amityville Island to the Bahamas. <laughs> and it roars like a monster from the Masters of the Universe cartoon. <laughs> And what do marine biologists do to this rare find? They kill it. <laughs> Not only do they kill it, I think they fucking practically torture the shit. Electrocuting it from the inside. As you said, man, fucking stabbing it with the boat's mast. Anyway, 
metal. <laughs> it's true when you think of it. The film has a lot of ludicrous uh, plot elements and everything else, but yeah, you found the rarest shark in the world, the one that actually stalks people, and what do you do with it? You kill it. That's <laughs> <laughs> some kind of marine biologist you are. I think they named after a sandwich. It's pretty nice. <laughs> but yeah, Jaws two, man. Uh, yeah, you should uh, you should definitely go back and revisit that at some point in time. It's got, it's got more of an exploitation feel than than the first Jaws. So we'll have to go back and visit one and two. Yeah, it's a good. Uh, you know what? Uh, when little William grows up, uh, Jaws is a pretty good uh, film. For, you know, kind of like almost like a. I think anyway. I don't know what you think, but I think it's a pretty good little horror series for kind of younger children. I think not 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 super young, but you know you know that kind of sweet spot age, like eight to twelve. I think. Yeah, I know. I'd say that sounds all right. Yeah, I mean, I saw it at a young age, and of course, I was already scared of water, and that didn't help. But you know, <laughs> I have a little bit of hydrophobia. But you know, once I realized there was big animals in the water that would eat me, that uh, kind of kicked it up a notch, to say the least. But hey, oh yeah, <laughs> what are you gonna do? All right, thanks for the voice, Nick. We're gonna try. We're gonna try to get Nick on the show at some point. So I was just thinking that actually, we're gonna try to get him on here at some point. Our scheduling is always wacky and stuff, but just no Nick. Uh, and I do know his real name, which I almost said just a second ago. Uh, we are looking to get you on, so we'll get you on at some point, buddy. Uh, we haven't forgotten. All right. Uh, okay. Next voicemail. This is the last one, I believe. Gentlemen, it's Mike down in Florida. I wanted to call and report on my weekend because it was pretty damn awesome. Um, on Friday night, I did get to host Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers with Gunnar Hansen. He was nice. surprisingly um, happy about it. He he was very thrilled that we weren't showing Chainsaw massacre because he's tired of talking about it he said um he gave some great stories about fertile and raised direction which consisted of such things as be angry be bemused that's the way that fred directs scenes and he said that the only way to get a close-up in one of fred's movies is to mess something up because fred only shoots one take yeah so that's my kind of filmmaker um uh, on sunday i did a great panel with gunner hansen I felt like Navin Johnson, like I had found my special purpose. I, I did a panel with uh, Gunnar Hansen, uh, Dr. Emery Guzzi, who's like a professor, teaches a horror lit class, um, and uh, Laura Bailey, who's a voice actress, who actually, as it turns out, did the uh, English dub for Martyrs, which she described as some jacked-up shit on the panel. Um, <laughs> I actually told a, a room full of kids who were interested in, you know, the remakes of, uh, of stuff. I, the panel was about remakes and sequels and why they're terrible, uh, these kids were talking about, you know, seeing things like Friday the 13th and, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. And I recommended that they go out and rent Martyrs and um, House of the Devil. So hopefully there'll be some seriously fucked up kids walking around this week, you know, kind of in a daze. Um, anyway, Gunnar, Gunnar Hansen is the nicest man you'd ever want to meet. He is a true gentleman, and you guys should interview him sometime. I think he'd give you some good stuff for the show. We did managed to get him to talk about Chainsaw for about 45 minutes on Saturday, and that's going to be on an upcoming Nightmare Theater episode, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention to you guys is I saw a movie that I don't know what you guys are going to think of it. I still don't know what I thought of it. It's called The Wild Man of the Navi Dodd, and the only way I can describe it is like if um, Harmony Corinne made a Bigfoot movie. It, <laughs> oh, wow. It, it's got a lot of local Texas flavor in it, but there's like some weird shit going on, like the the main character's wife is a is a, like a vegetable almost, and, and they have a Mexican uh, caretaker that lives with them who's shirtless most of the time, kind of a short, squat, fat guy who's shirtless all the time, is molesting <laughs> the wife on the side. And oh, wow. It has nothing to do with anything else going on in the movie. 
because it's supposed to be about this this Bigfoot type creature that's killing people. Although it seems to have deer antlers for hands, I don't know. It's made for like <laughs> seven grand. I, and IFC Films put it out, which is really strange. But I, I hope you guys will check that out and tell me what you think. Um, do I have anything else to tell you that's important? I don't think so. I'm probably close to three minutes anyway. All right. Uh, love the show. Love you guys. Congrats, Will, on your on your new baby that's coming soon. Um, yeah, I'm going to download a bunch of shows because I'm going on an eight-hour road trip to Disney World with my wife and my child next week. So I'm going to download a bunch of the shows that I haven't heard in the back archive and listening to them in the middle of the night while I'm driving. So nice. Maybe I'll leave some feedback on some of those. Sweet. Anyway, awesome. later. Have a good one. Bye. Later, Mike. All right. A uh, couple things. Uh, you know, I will. I always say, you know, I hate meeting these uh, celebrities because some of them are so rude. But I will say I've met Gunnar Hansen twice, and both times he has been incredibly nice. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. I, he was one of the first celebrities I ever approached. The first, I think the first year I went to uh, the Rumorg Festival of Fear. And I was you know, a little bit nervous. This was Leatherface. But, I mean, I talked to him for about 15 minutes. You know, we talked about some of the things we, we disliked about the remake, um, like the lack of the, the dinner scene and, mm-hmm. and a few other things. And just, yeah, really, really nice guy, man. Yeah, yeah he's, one of the, uh, he's one of the rarities in that uh, world. And for those of you that go to a lot of conventions, you know what I mean. I'm not going to get into that again. Uh, he's, a, he's a very nice guy. Uh, also, that Navidad film, I have that. I, I have never watched I haven't watched it yet because, uh, you know, me and my, and, uh, fuck, I can't, me and Brian, I can't, I'm sorry, Brian, I forgot your name, over at Movie Meltdown, we've been doing this Bigfoot series, the uh, the crypto, uh, crypto, what do you call them, cryptophiles or something like that? Cryptocons? Well, the zoo, zoo crypto, yeah. cryptology. Yeah, something like that. He calls them something. But I do those shows with him, so I just really haven't ever dropped it on Will. But I've been wanting to watch it because I've heard that it's pretty bizarre. So, when do you usually record those episodes? Uh, some, what what well, day of the week? Uh, usually on like a Saturday morning is when we usually record them. Ooh, well, that might not work for me then. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we we might be able to work it out at some point in time. Who knows? Because if this one is a Harmony Harmony Kern Bigfoot move, I want in on this talk. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> It, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't really comment on the actual film, but I do know that uh, the stills I've seen are fucking bizarre. But I usually let uh, uh, Brian pick the films because it's his show and we do it on his show. So, I, so. I did. Sorry, I didn't want to say, Mike, uh, you know, hopefully you enjoy listening to us uh, on your drive. And if I may say thank you for the congratulations, but also that uh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. You, you, he has an ad- extremely adorable daughter. So I hope you guys have fun at Disney. Um, and let us know uh, if you like the Aerosmith ride because it's pretty wild. And uh, Mike is uh, extremely adorable when he wears devil horns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Dem- I still say demolition. He says road warriors. I say demolition. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had yeah. the demolition theme music right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was watching YouTube videos of demolition this weekend thinking of Mike. <laughs> <laughs> But that is all of our feedback, buddy. All right. So I guess we should get into our pleasantries before I go get a coffee. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, long book, Will. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Where is Show Show? Does anyone know? They're one of our sister shows that I'd like all of you to check out. But sadly, they haven't put anything out in almost a month. Uh, as well, we have other sister shows, Cinema Diabolica, Outside the Cinema, Family Movie Night with our good friends down in Texas uh, doing yeoman's work for movies that are safe for families to watch. 
Uh, movie Meltdown, you just talked about Brian and the Gang. Uh, Chinstroker versus Punter. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out all the pups and naked shows. Uh, and while you're at it, check out Paleo Cinema. Terry just uh, put out his Larry Cohen episode, which I haven't heard yet, but I'm sure it's good. Uh, Cinecultania, Ben and Alex, another wonderful Australian podcast. Cinerama with Sir Ian Loring, Action Attraction with the Metal One, Swollen Chest Hairs and All, uh, Better in the Dark. Uh, v Cinema, Destroy the Brain, uh, The Gore Press, nope, Gore Zone, Gore Cat, Gore, fuck, I gotta write this down, <laughs> hang on. The Gore Press, Gore Cast. Gore Press, Gore, Gore Press, Gore Cast, sorry Jamie. Uh, and of course the Glee Cast, which I didn't, I, in a weird way, my wife didn't have me watch last week's episode and I wouldn't say I missed it, but I wanted to at least watch it so I'd have something to say to Emily about it, but... I missed it. Uh, check out our favorite couple in New York and the wonderful magazine they run, Paracinema at paracinema.net. Uh, check out wonderful Mike, the man who rocks the devil horns better than anyone except old Sam himself yep. at nightmaretheater.blip.tv, uh, shrine of Chicago Horror Commentary.com. And then in terms of bloggies, we have Pickleloaf, Lightning Bugs Lair, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Death Rattle 13, Naked Eskimo. This is quiet, cool. Uh, heaven's trash. <laughs> Our some, West had hmm? some honeycomb hiccups there. <laughs> I got the old honey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, our, of course, our West Coast correspondent, the hunk in LA, Rupert Pupkin. Uh, Rupert Pupkin speaks. Um, who did a wonderful, wonderful job? I want to mention now on the interview he did with Lars Nilsson, uh, programmer for the Alamo Draft House. It, it, I was writing down movies left and right, and especially that one. Fur de Lance about the uh, deadly snakes that were loose on the submarine. Oh, uh, Rupert's on the lookout for that for us. I, yes, he is. I already told him. I said, <laughs> you gotta, gotta keep your eyes peeled for this film. Uh, of course, Uncool Cat and Rach on Film. Uh, and then, of course, Dear Bastards, a big suck loser for King Mob. Uh, beyond that, there's Cinema-DE-Bazaar. All your hard-to-find John Renees. We'll be getting back to them once Ladies Appreciation Month is, month, month, wow. uh, month is over. Um, nice. That sounded a lot worse than I intended it to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Podcast Alley. Keep voting, guys. Uh, iTunes reviews. Again, we need more. Friend us both on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Follow Sammy on Twitter. Twitter.com backslash GGTMC. And we have a donate button if you have some spare change in your pocket. Yeah, I'll, I'll plead for some donations. I don't have any pride. that doesn't. I'm getting ready to go off work for a little while pretty soon for uh, the baby. So uh, any donations would help the show just for hosting fees things like that guys so any help you can give uh we're greatly pre- even if it's a quarter i'd be happy i guess we call yes, them, i don't know what you guys call them up there what, what do you call the 25 cent piece up there again uh we call it a quarter okay that's a quarter yes. <laughs> <laughs> well we have loonies which are our one dollar coins because there's a loon on it yes and then because the loonie caught on a two dollar coin became toonies because it rhymes loonies and toonies <laughs> Oh, no, here he comes, the juggernaut, <laughs> right before we end the episode. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, but, yeah, those are right, loonies and toonies, but quarters are yeah, still quarters. This water, yes, thank you. <laughs> Daddy needed that kid hiccups. All right, uh, I'm going to play us out with a song uh, inspired by one of the films we covered this week. Uh, it's a song but called... before you do that, we should tell them what we're covering for our last week of Ladies' oh, yeah, Maybe we should do that. That might be a good idea. <laughs> yes. All right, so next week we are covering uh, the last two films for Ladies Appreciation. We are covering a, fi- a pick from uh, the Gore Horror uh, over at, uh, I think she uh, writes for Gutter Magazine. Yep. Uh, she picked a film called Viva. If 
V I V A. I think it's from two thousand and ooh, seven, six, five, something like that. Either way, look it up. Netflix has it. Uh, if you have Netflix, if not, look it up. Viva. You'll see it's a uh, basically a sexploitation type film, and uh, we are covering uh, Avenging Angel from uh, listener uh, Christina. I think what she. I think that's what's her name. I hope God. I hope I got that right. Um, I think you're right, if I remember correctly. <laughs> or I'm a total jerk, and I apologize. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I just know her as Sleepy Chris on the uh, Twitter, so she called in that choice. So that's what it'll be next week: Avenging Angel and Viva. So should be a good time. Uh okay so and uh, okay let me go ahead and say our other things uh you can email us did I, you already say that all right no I, I didn't because I thought it was gonna be in the outro <laughs> this sounds like the first episode we ever did uh email us at midnightcinema gmail dot com m i d n i t e cinema gmail dot com and voicemails two zero six 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 five two zero seven the only reason why I'm saying it is because I'm gonna play out a song kind of inspired by the Street Fighter uh, uh, and that is a song uh, old Rolling Stones song called Street Fighting Man we're gonna play that out and. That's going to take about three or four minutes. We'll get you some coffee, have some fun with your son. We'll come back and do some more work here in just a little while. William, say adios. Hello. <laughs> there we go. Adios. Adios. Fucking hell. You fucking, you fucking land.